gonna say it's very much a tightrope walk, uh, and not just for the teaser, but for the movie itself. Because yeah. this has to be new, and it's got to be something that that are, you know a story that that fans have not seen before. And at the same time, it's Star Wars, and you right. have to allow it to uh, be inheriting you know what it's been. Um, and I think the, the the trick is to be forward thinking, but embrace everything. This incredible foundation that was yeah. uh, that was built before. Really, really good. Yeah. It was magical, and it was uh, everything I waited for for many, many years. It's uh, good. Very good. It's excellent. It was amazing. Yeah. Great. It was good. Lived up to our expectations. It was just amazing. Don't you think? It was. It was so amazing. And I want to watch it. I want to watch it again. So good. <laughs> <Awesome>. Ridiculously <laughs> good. Amazing, absolutely awesome. amazing. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really liked it. It was it awesome. Bloody ridiculous. Amazing. Go. Yeah. Go to it. If you haven't seen it already, go see it. Go. See it. And they felt they knew, you know, they wanted to do a retro movie. I don't like that. I like, I, every movie I worked very hard to make them different. I make them completely different with, you know, different planets, with different spaceships, with different, you know, make it new. So and, are you at peace with this? Yeah. As much as you can be. Yeah, no, I was, I said, look, I'm fine. Then you get to the thing, which is another thing that I'd been through. Fortunately, I'm old enough to have been through all this stuff before. Uh, and that one is to say, I had to do it. And then you do end up with this thing, which is, you know, you've got to live with it and people are going to talk about it and all that kind of stuff. It's like talking about your divorce or something. It's just it's awkward, but it's not painful. Everybody, welcome to episode seven of the Cultural Futures Exchange. The Force Awakens, or maybe the Fart Awakens. We haven't decided quite <laughs> yet on the on on the title, but uh, welcome everybody. Uh, I'm Jeff, and that is Slip. Hello. And yeah, Mad Magazine would would have. Pro I think they probably did it as the Farce Awakens. That's the probably farce. what they. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, fair, fair enough. That that would be the Mad Magazine version. Um, all right, well, welcome and reminder of the uh, CFX uh, conceit here. So here's a place where we examine different elements of cultural ephemera, music, movies, TV, uh, dive into the context and the time that they came out, what's happened since, our take on the future valuation of the item in terms of should you go long and invest, well, the value will go up, go short, sell, value is going to go down or decrease uh, or stay neutral. And, uh, you know, if it seems like a weird concept, just hang in there, as we say, and it'll become pretty clear. Uh, okay, so. Yeah, I movie. wanted to, right, I <laughs> wanted to, to talk about why we, why we chose this movie and how weird it is compared to one the other episodes we've done so far. Um, most of the episodes we've done so far kind of go deep back into our childhood, right? They are, they're based on things we grew up with. And they're generally older, right? So this is something that's relatively new. Um, and I wanted to do it because my opinion of this movie has changed dramatically in the few years since it was originally released. Um, 
you know, as you as you heard at the intro, the, uh, what you basically heard were some opinions on the movie. There was J.J. Abrams kind of talking about, you know, his view of the movie and how, you know, it's this this um, conflict between delivering something new and kind of giving the fans what they want. And then you heard George Lucas talking about how he kind of sees this more as a, as a retro thing, which we'll talk about a lot more um, rather than something new. And then yeah. you see the re- react, you hear the reactions of the first fans. I guess the first showing was in England because there's all these British people just whooping and hollering over how great this movie was. And I was one of those people when I saw the movie. And I think a lot of people were at the time, but looking back on the movie, I think this is an interesting kind of CFX uh, thing to take on because I think the val- it shows how evaluation can change so quickly um, because my valuation is very different than it would have been if you had asked me in 2016 or even 2017 what I thought of this movie. Um, I still do like things about the movie, but we'll get into that. Um, but, uh, you know, revisiting it again was not nearly as fun as the other topics we've done. <laughs> I had trouble <laughs> kind of getting through it because I'm just like, as you'll see why, we'll go into it. But I just thought I would kind of talk about this at the beginning, why we decided to do this, why I thought it would be a good idea to do. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Jeff, because I know you didn't have a background with this movie at all. We'll no, talk I hadn't a little, seen it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We got to talk a little bit about Star Wars, but we can't get too into the deep in the – I mean – I'm going to get we're going to get a little deep into the woods with Star Wars, but it's such a big thing. And obviously, we both think the original movies, maybe the first two do hold up. And I think that's not really even worth going into too much unless one of us has a controversial opinion on one or the other. But um, that's the general consensus. And so we're not going to veer too far from that. But we did want I did want to bring this one up just because. uh it kind of really illustrates, like I mentioned, how fast something can change. Uh, right. So I, that's why I thought it would would uh, be interesting to as a topic. Well, let's get into it. So let's set the stage here, the zeitgeist, Star Wars, where this came from, why. I think a lot of people probably know the overall arc, but maybe not the details. So why don't you fill us in on? Yeah, I, I mean, things. so the the trouble with the zeitgeist thing is I guess, you know, normally what we do with this section is we kind of talk about the times and the political and cultural milieu. Uh, but this is really, I guess the milieu is, is our current culture now. It's kind of blockbuster culture. You know, this right. whole idea that we're constantly mining old stuff, right? And bringing... You know, it's kind of the I think the context is really this kind of Marvel movie dominance that we're living in. You know, these these big, big, giant um, universes that are just producing more and more movies. And Star Wars was one of these kind of a foundational one. Right. Star Trek and Star Wars were kind of and Lord of the Rings, I would argue as well, are kind of the foundations of this whole thing, of this whole idea of blockbusters. And I think that's what we're into now. But really. Uh, Star Wars, you know, changed everything when it came out, right? I mean, it changed what movies could do. It changed the scale of movies. It created the whole summer blockbuster thing, with all, maybe along with Jaws. Uh, it was probably the first. But um, and, and but really, the what we're talking about here is the Star Wars universe. That's the kind of zeitgeist. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we should talk a little bit about Lucas and 
you know, who he was and the, the his background real quick, even though this kind of bleeds into the history. So, you well, know, before, George Lucas. Before you go into the history, I just want to say something about the universes that you right. talked about. Is I remember when the first Star Wars came out, and, and I'll get into this in my section a little bit, that, you know, they started putting out toys, obviously, and mining that whole thing. And it was just like the right. biggest thing ever. And I remember that they in, they sold so many of everything they put out that they started pulling out characters that were on the screen in the first movie, literally for like a split second, not even in a blink of an eye, and making toys of them and making up names for them where they maybe or maybe not didn't even have character backgrounds and things like that. Because they were just like, oh, well, wait a minute, whatever we put out, people will buy it. If we put out like a background character, people will buy it. If we put in a ship that is sort of in the background of, uh, in the larger scene with like a, a TIE fighter or the Imperial Stormtrooper stuff, people will buy it. And so I, I think the idea of a universe that you could just mine the shit out of maybe wasn't invented there, but it started to become like oh, the yeah. biggest money machine ever with the original Star Wars in the in the in you know 77 that era, right? Yeah, really good point. That was the beginning of that too. This whole the to the merchandising, you know, we talked about that with their KISS episode, but this was light years beyond that crazy yeah, yeah I, I mean crazy. i remember i remember uh when they first came out with the toys they actually gave these gift certificates like like kind of because the kenner couldn't make the toys fast enough for demand so there was just like this thing you could buy that said i own these toys when they come out for the christmas season of like 1977 because they couldn't make them fast enough for the demand so yep. It was a huge thing. But just a, Lucas's background real quick. So basically, you know, he was a USC. He was at USC film school. You know, he had call. He had was kind of part of that whole uh, young filmmakers group that was that, you know, included Steven Spielberg and, um, uh, you know, John Milius and Brian De Palma maybe was a little older, but they were all kind of friends. And he had made this student film called THX 1138. Uh, and eventually that turned into a feature film. And it was very different from what Star Wars would be. It was a sci-fi film, but it was much more like Logan's Run. It was like a dystopic film. Um, and he, of course, had his breakthrough film with American Graffiti, which was, again, couldn't be more different from Star Wars, but was a massive success and totally ushered in this nostalgia that we talked about in the Beach Boys episode. You know, a huge landmark movie. And so he kind of could write his own check, you know, could do his own thing. Um, and he started writing the space opera, uh, you know, that was very based on Dune. You know, at first there was Spice Mines and there was a spice kind of like Dune. Uh, and no one really wanted to make this movie. Uh, no one saw it as a as a thing that would be successful. Sci-fi was more stuff like 2001 and more artsy and, you know, Star Trek was, was around, but it wasn't like, um, it is now where when a sci-fi film comes out, it's usually this big deal. It wasn't so big I money. Like, right. Like people look at sci-fi now as something yeah. that translates to every language. You don't have to like worry about subtleties in American culture versus Japanese culture or Chinese culture or whatever it is. That's why a lot of these big, you know, com comic book type movies are so great because the dialogue is nothing. It's just action. And that's like, you can sell it around the world instantly, right? And so this, 
opened up that really in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think, I think the, you know, the movies at the big movies at the time were things like the exorcist and, right. and uh Godfather and, you know, uh, Chinatown. And these were, these were the more of the artsy kind of films, even though the exorcist was big horror film. And then obviously jaws came out and that, that changed things quite a bit. That was the classic summer blockbuster, but Lucas was making Star Wars even before that. So he was kind of writing it. And there's this whole myth about Star Wars that I think we'll talk about with this whole universe concept that Lucas wrote nine episodes, you know, that he wrote this huge space opera that had nine episodes. Uh, and it was always that way from the beginning. And these characters like Padme and these other characters that would come along in the prequels and, uh, you know, that all this was written and was was written in stone before the first movie was made. Now, none of that's true. Uh, when the first Star Wars came out, <clears throat> there was no episode for A New Hope on the on the you know the whatever they call that the story role that that classic kind of uh, pulpy role you know uh, the pre roll or whatever. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, they they there was none of that. You know, there was no episode four. That was tacked on later, and. Um, it was really kind of a clever thing to do because it added to kind of the mystery of, well, what came before, you know, it's like, this is episode four. And it also gives it that kind of flash Gordon-y pulpy uh, feel that star Wars was so influenced by, you know, it was influenced by the kind of movies that George Lucas grew up with. And it had this kind of classic, I guess, episodic, you know, nature, like these little shorts that, that would be shown in the theater back then. So it had that kind of feel to it. But it's really a myth. It, none of that was true. He had written a lot more than, um, you know, a two-hour movie for this, but it wasn't anything that would eventually be used. It was kind of rough drafts and, um, you know, ke- uh, you know, character names kept changing and things like that. So it wasn't really like a thing. Um, but obviously he added that later and he's continued to perpetuate that myth that all of this was written long ago and right. it was all planned out, which is not true. So, you know, obviously Star Wars came out. It was huge. There was the original trilogy. Uh, George Lucas did, you know, Raiders. and and uh, But then he's it sort of went dormant and he made these bombs. He produced these bombs in the 80s, like Radioland Murders and Howard the Duck. Wait, Howard and the st- Duck was a bomb? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know we should we should evaluate it and see yeah, if it, we might it, have it holds to. up it, it didn't hold up then i'm pretty sure it doesn't hold up now but you know it's so it kind of star wars kind of like faded into the into the you know the sunset it wasn't a thing but then he started to think about making the first three movies and he also revisited re-released the original trilogy at basically put a bunch of CGI in it, put extra scenes called the special editions. These were huge. I remember seeing these in 1997 when they came out. I was laid off. You know, I had just been laid off from a job. I was looking for another job. So I would go to these 10 a.m. like on Tuesday showings. And I saw all three in the theater, uh, these special editions. Um, and that this was is the one where a- he like redid the scene where Han Solo didn't shoot uh, right. Boba Fett first and uh, Greedo, all that bullshit. Greedo. Yeah, Greedo. Yeah, 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 he didn't Greedo. shoot Greedo. Yeah, hand yeah. shot first, everyone. That's that's part of this mythology, too. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah, basically yeah. re-edited it to make Han look more like a good guy, which 
was terrible. Why would you do awful. that? Why would you I, do that? That's part of his charm is that he's not an honest character. He's you know? a smuggler. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I mean, yeah. But by definition, he's doing illegal stuff, right? He, he's not a long haul trucker or whatever. He's a smuggler. It means he's traveling in illegal goods and services and what have you, right? So, anyway. Right. So, so basically, yeah, that's ridiculous. And then there was this other scene with, you know, that had been cut out that they superimposed a CGI Job of the Hut where he actually talks with Job of the Hut before they escape from Moss Eisley, right? So he's Job of the Hut confronts him. It's a completely superfluous scene. There's also these, you know, various CGI monsters that are just inserted here and there around, uh, you know, Moss Eisley. And it, it really doesn't work. Um, the second movie was the best, I think, of the special editions because he did the least to it. Um, there's very little extra scenes. And then the third movie, you know, he sh he reshoots the whole Ewok song and there's all these, uh, you know, he uh, the worst thing I think that he did with them, I mean, we're kind of going off here, but the worst thing I think he did was at the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke sees the ghosts of Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan and he sees Anakin as played by the older actor who played Darth Vader when his mask comes off. And they changed that to put Hayden Christensen there from the prequels. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Um, that was even done after. That was done, he kept fucking with these movies. So you can, like through uh, eBay or, uh, you know, on some websites, you can get the original trilogy untouched or it's like been, they've been trying to, they tried to recreate it the way it was meant to be seen. I actually have all those. So you can watch those Blu-rays and actually see the way the movies were meant to be seen because he's fucked with them so much over the years that the original prints are kind of lost. They, you know, they've wondered if Disney would release those original movies. Well, they're not really available in that form, except from these uh, kind of people online who are, uh, you know, experts at editing, uh, at computer editing and stuff who've recreated the original film. So you can watch those. And that's what I have, because I don't want to watch any of the CGI crap that's been inserted into those movies. I want to see the movie I saw when I was a kid, Yeah, you know. So he did that, and then he made the prequels, uh, starting with Phantom Menace. And of course, everyone knows how disappointing that stuff was. And I'll talk more about the history, you know, my history with that when that comes up, you know, when we do that section. But, you know, obviously the prequels are important for this movie because they were such a disappointment to people. Um, you know, they they were really boring. You know, there's so many meetings. I mean, it seems like you're, it's like watching a, you know. C-SPAN uh, or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like watching C-SPAN or a corporate board meeting. I mean, it's like there's more meetings going on. And again, this is another thing we'll talk about um, with this film is a lot of the action that you've heard about these Clone Wars. They don't even take place in the movies. Like they happen in between movies. And then, of course, they did an animated series that actually did go into the Clone Wars, which I've never seen. Um, my nephew's really into it. You know, a lot of kids like some of the newer Star Wars stuff. Um, I had no interest, so I didn't watch it, but maybe I'll watch it now. I don't know. But the, the movies are character. They're very dour. They have a lack of humor. They just don't feel like Star Wars to me at all. And they're so digital. And the digital effects at the time were truly groundbreaking. I mean, obviously, Jar Jar Binks, the notorious character that everyone hates, was completely digital. It's the first time that was ever done. 
Um, they're incredibly innovative in that way. But if you watch them now, they seem very sterile and they look digital. To me, it looks like a video game. You know, it doesn't age, hasn't aged very well. And so that's very important for the feel of Force Awakens because Force Awakens doesn't feel like that. Force Awakens looks like Star Wars to me. And that's one of the reasons why my reaction was as many people as the people who were exiting that theater we heard at the beginning. That's, I think, if you didn't have the prequels, maybe this movie wouldn't have been such a big deal. You know, but because you had the prequels and you had this film that kind of harkened back to more of the way Star Wars looked and felt, um, I think that's important too. And of course, we have to think about the zeitgeist here in terms of Marvel, right? Marvel has created this incredible universe that's incredibly detailed and interlocked. And there's, you know, movies that refer to other movies and characters constantly coming in and out. And it's this complete soap opera of superheroes. And I don't, I don't know that... Um, Disney would have uh, been interested in Star Wars had this not been the case, right? They they had already purchased Marvel, and so they thought, well, we can get this other universe going too. That's really popular, and it's gonna. Um, uh, it's just a money know, machine for them, right? right? It's a they, money machine. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the zeitgeist we're in. And then, of course, there's this huge. I'm going to mention this thing called the Thrawn trilogy. This is very nerdy. Uh, thing you know there's all these star wars novel books you know that kind of some are canon some are not canon you know they keep changing and star trek has the same thing there's star trek books and there's you know there's various things that kind of expand the universe and i'm going to talk a little bit about one called the thrawn trilogy which i think is was the kind of original sequels that force awakens kind of replaced um that a lot of people thought of as the sequels that actually continues the story. Um, so there was a lot of fan fiction out. You know, there's people have made YouTube movies of of different Star Wars things. So I almost feel like that's part of the context we're in too. There's an endless wanting, parodies too, right? right? And endless parodies, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so from that, just a little bit about the history specifically of these movies. So one thing to know is that you know, George Lucas had made the prequels. He was actually starting to make these films. We'll talk a little bit more about what his original vision was for the story um, that he kind of gave to Disney. But basically, it was around 2011, 2012. You know, George Lucas is 70. He's pushing 70 years old. And he kind of realizes, you know, it took me 10 years to make the prequels. He started in 1995, started making them. And he wrapped it up in 2005 with Revenge of the Sith. So he kind of said, you know, I'm really getting old and I just don't see myself being able to finish these movies. So Disney, he had talked to friends at Disney and they basically said, hey, look, if you're into selling this Lucasfilm and all this, we're interested. You know, if you want a home for this, we'll we'll take it. And so, you know, obviously he met with, uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and she's kind of the one shepherding these all this Star Wars stuff. You know, you see all these different movies and the Mandalorian and, you know, Boba, now a Boba Fett show. And it's just going to keep going and going and it's going to be much more like Marvel. And as you saw, heard at the beginning, there was it was bittersweet to Lucas because he kind of had his vision for what these would be. And he originally thought, well, maybe I can just get other directors. Well, he tried that, right? So in the, as, as you may or may not know, you know, he didn't direct uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back or 
uh, Return of the Jedi. He got other directors to direct those. And he basically sat, but he, as he said, you know, even though I got other directors to direct those, I was at the set every freaking day. You know, right. he was there every day. So he felt like he wouldn't really let it go unless he really let it go. And he's told them, here's the, here's what I see these next three movies containing. Here's the basic outline of the story. And we'll talk about that because I actually think what he wanted to do was much better than what they did. Um, but again, we'll, we'll, come to that later. So he basically handed it over and Disney recruited JJ Abrams who, you know, we can talk more about him in our evaluations and what we think of him, but he basically you know, he had he had kind of rebooted Star Trek. He seemed like a natural choice. He was a super huge fanboy as you heard at the beginning that was him talking about, you know, what he wanted to do and he really wanted to get back to the way Star Wars felt to him as a kid. And I think on some level he succeeds, but we'll talk about that. Um, but that's kind of leading up to the movie now. So J.J. Abrams, he directed the first and the third movies. Ryan Johnson directed the second, The Last Jedi. Um, but J.J. Abrams kind of oversaw it. He was kind of the visionary for whatever these movies would become, right? So that's where we lead. I think that's... that takes us to where we are now. So maybe we should go into our personal histories. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And, and one thing, um, well, why don't you take, talk about your personal history and then I'll talk about mine. All right. the, and I want to talk about the original juxtaposed a little bit. And then I do think that we need to just do an episode on the original um, to compare. Yeah. The, it's kind of like the bookends. I, although I know this isn't the last one, but nevertheless. So why don't you talk yeah. about your personal history with, with Star uh, Wars I don't with think this? To be honest, I don't think I could sit through Rise of Skywalker again. I mean, as uh, you know, this to me is by far the best of the new movies, um, other than Rogue One. I think Rogue One is actually good. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't think these are actually good. I actually, um, in retrospect, I started watching Rogue One again, and it's kind of I like that it's its own thing and it's standalone, and it's also kind of takes some chances that this movie doesn't. Um, and it's got that still that Star Wars feel, but I think it's the most successful of the new movies. But, um, you know, I've seen pretty much all of them. Uh, but, um, yeah, look, Rise of Skywalker, the problems with this movie are multiplied by a billion in that thing. You know, um, I don't know if I could sit through it again <laughs> at any <laughs> rate. Um, so my history, yeah, as a kid growing up, I was always into sci-fi and fantasy. I remember, you know, I read The Hobbit when I was really young um, and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. Uh, I remember my mom taking me to see, I remember seeing Planet of the Apes as a kid. Uh, Planet of the Apes, by the way, I think Star Wars owes a ton to that movie. Um, the whole look and feel of the movie kind of looks like Star Wars in a way. Um, and I loved that as a kid. I loved Logan's Run. My mom took me to that when I was, you know, maybe seven years old. So I had the kind of, sci-fi bug and of course as you're going to say too when star wars came out it changed my life you know i mean it was like it was a huge huge deal to all of us i think of that generation whether you're you know you saw it when it came out or maybe you saw empire strikes back first or you know this any of this it was just uh you know a really big deal um and i remember of course, as I mentioned, I saw, you know, when the 
special editions came out. I went and saw them all in the theater. Um, and I was hugely anticipating Phantom Menace. I remember seeing the trailers for Phantom Menace, watching them with some of my, I was doing technical support at a company called FileMaker. I remember seeing, and there were a bunch of us on the desk who were, you know, nerds, of course, computer nerds or whatever, um, who were watching these Phantom Menace trailers. I just remember like seeing Darth Maul, the character Darth Maul, you know, he's the red and black kind of demonic looking character. And I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. You know, everybody thought that. Um, and of course, when we saw the film, Darth Maul is killed immediately. <laughs> I mean, he's killed toward the end of the movie in a great, probably the only good sequence in the film that I think is is the fight scene. But of course, between him and, um, uh, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn or whatever his name is, uh, Liam Neeson's character. But it's just terrible. You know, Jar Jar Binks, you know, this terrible child actor, uh, Jake Lloyd. It just was... Ugh, it was awful. And of course, you know, the fact that he built C-3PO and these and the midi-chlorians, um, you know, the fact that the force is is just a genetic thing that you have these like little cells called midi-chlorians. You have a lot of them. You get the, you know, it just took away the mystique of the force and made it something technical. And of course, it just was overlong, very boring. Uh totally disappointing and i think it's notorious for how disappointing it is um and then of course i remember the other prequels coming out i saw them all in the theater you know i just couldn't not see them i yeah. had to go see them so i saw attack of the clones that's probably the worst star wars movie instead of rise i, I would put maybe rise of skywalker worse um but that's close and then um revenge of the sith which was better it had some good scenes but watching it, I started watching it again in preparation for this, and it's and and it kind of will color my opinion of Force Awakens a little bit too, because it did at the time and it still does. Because there's it just doesn't have any of the humor of the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, you had characters like Han Solo, these great one-liners, you know, the kind of almost 30s kind of old Hollywood banter in between him and Leah, you know, the kind of um uh I guess romantic comedy but early yeah. kind of classic romantic comedy banner, you know, it's just really fun. And there's just these movies, these prequels are dour. They're no fun. They're over serious. And then there's some just cringe worthy love scene dialogue, uh, you know, so, so basically that's kind of, you know, I remember watching that, but then there's a couple scenes that were good and at least the revenge of the Sith, you got outside of the boardroom, as we mentioned, you know, there was a lot more fighting. There was a lot more action. Um, but still it was disappointing. And then of course, Force Awakens comes out. There's all this hype and, you know, we, we all saw the trailer and it was, it looked like Star Wars. It looked much better. You know, it didn't have that cold digital feel, even though it's tons of CGI and, you know, watching the movie when I first saw it, um, I think, uh, you know, it just felt like more like Star Wars to me. The, some well, of the it had directorial half the cast touch. in it, too, right. right? It had, yeah. You got to see Han Solo again. You know, at the end, you get to see Luke Skywalker. You get to see um, Princess Leia again. And it was moving to me at the time. You know, I was just like, wow, you know, this is really happening. We're actually seeing this movie um, with the with the actual characters that belong in the movie, even though it's a quote-unquote new story and we'll get to that more how new is it really 
uh, later. But yeah, to me, I saw it in the theater. I loved it. Uh, and then I remember me and my wife were on a flight back from visiting our relatives in Alabama. And I just said, let's watch this on the plane. And she watched it and liked it too. And I think the reason we liked it so much was because it wasn't the prequels. And I'll talk more about that in my evaluation. Um, it was just not the same as the prequels. It had more fun to it. It was more action-packed. Um, and it felt like Star Wars at the time. But of course, I watched it again now. And uh, I thought about this for years, too. After seeing it the second time, I thought, you know, that, that movie, I'm not sure how well it holds up. And watching it again now, of course, my opinion is very different. But we'll get to that in, a, in that segment. Yeah. So my personal history with Star Wars, as you were mentioning, huge part of my childhood. When it came out, I remember it changing. It really changed the course of, you know, culturally, my childhood at that time. All my friends were into it. I was into it. Every single, um, you know, toy that came out, all the action figures, that's all I wanted. I played with them all the time. Getting all the toys was super important to me. Um, you know, I know it's a first world problem as a, as a kid, but it was, it was just like, I loved all the Millennium Falcon stuff. I loved all the little TIE fighter and X-Wing fighter stuff. I had all the figures. It's all I really wanted to do and talk about. Um, and it was great. And I did see it in the theater uh, several times. It was the first movie I can remember seeing multiple times and wanting to see multiple times. Um, not that I, you know, at, you know, six or seven years old, I was not, you know, going to the theater a lot, but I mean, it was something like, as soon as we were done watching it, I wanted to see it again. Did um, you have the Millennium Falcon? Yeah, I had all of it. Wow. Yeah. You I, know, had, I never had many of the toys. I had a few of them, but what I did have was, of course I have the soundtrack. I still have the soundtrack. I love John Williams. I, I, I love um, John Williams too. I, I think he's amazing. Still do. Um, I had all of it. I had, I had, uh, I also had this great album, uh, that I would love to find again. I'm sure I could find it. It was called the story of star Wars. And it was basically, um, Anthony Daniels was yep. on, you know, they had all the voices and they would have segments. Cause you know, back then we didn't have like, the movie at our fingertips, you know, right. not even a DVD or a VHS that so you couldn't watch the movie, but they had, um, you know, they would re-release the movie constantly. So I saw it in the theater many times, but they, they, they had this album that you could buy that had all the sound effects and you could just listen to that over and over again. So just thought I'd bring that up because you were talking about the merchandise and that was one thing I forgot that I love that freaking story of star Wars album. I would love to find another copy of that now. Well, I mean, when this became the biggest cultural phenomenon ever, basically, um, they were just trying to figure out ways to, to market the shit out of it, right? I, I mean, like, whatever they could think of to put out there, people would buy. So, you know, if anybody had any ideas, like, hey, we can have, a, you know, Luke Skywalker, you know, a, you know a, a chef's bib or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. May the force be with you. Yeah, great. Put it out there and people will buy it. And, and it just became... It was overdone, but it, it was a precursor to this over hyper marketed, you know, uh, merchandising world that we live in, and for the worse, in my opinion. But I loved all those toys. I had them probably 
until I, I would still have them if it wasn't for, you know, the typical story when, you know, I kept them around in a box. And at some point, probably when I went off to college, my mom's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw all this shit out. Yeah, you know, and I, I would still have a lot of that stuff, but I, I loved it. I, I was still amazing. They were pretty cool toys for being plastic pieces of shit. I still loved them. It was just, I spent hours and hours and hours. I love the movie, um, the first Star Wars movie. And one of the reasons I liked it, and I'm going to compare it to Empire and Return of the Jedi. So I, when Empire came out, I think 81, was it? Something like that? Or or what was the, yeah, do you remember the 1980, years? 1980, 1980, yeah. 1980, yeah. So when Empire came out, I was like, okay, I, I was definitely down for that. I was nine at the time, I think, when it came out. Um, and I liked it a lot. It was different. It wasn't, I didn't like it as much, but I liked it and I thought it was cool and it was a little darker. And of course I thought the music, and this is a lot of people have this opinion now that the music John Williams score for empire was incredible, even better than oh, the yeah. first one. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I really liked it a lot in the, all the carbonite things with Han Solo. I, I mean, I wasn't a huge like Lando fan or whatever. The whole buddy cop thing of that was a little, not my thing, but I liked it. And then when Return of the Jedi came out, I liked some aspects of it. I actually liked the, the setting of a lot of the forest stuff, which is actually Redwood uh, Forest, National Forest in, in Northern California, North California, um, where they filmed that, which is an incredible place to go if, you, if you've never been there. But I liked parts of it. But when all the Ewok stuff and all yeah. that, it just basically, I was like, I'm out. And the, even as a kid, I didn't like it. And one of the reasons I th I've been thinking about this is one of the reasons I like the original so much is it was not a kid's movie. Yeah, it, it was not supposed to be a kid's movie, although, you know, I'm sure they're like, well, kids are going to like this. But the dialogue was a little it was not geared towards kids. It was not meant to be out of the box, a kid's movie. And Return of the Jedi absolutely was. And there's like, well, the marketing and merchandising became the prime directive, as it were, uh, the right. primary. <laughs> Uh, maybe not the prime director. Phantom Menace Star Trek. is even worse that way, right? Oh, yeah. Phantom Menace is absolutely a kid's movie, and he's actually said that's what he wanted to do. Well, he's like, I want a new generation to like this, so I'm going to make, you know, why have Anakin, why start Anakin's story when he's like, you know, seven or eight years old? You know, right. but but it's like, and I have this Jar Jar Binks, all this comic relief. So it's even worse. But yeah, I would argue the first half of Return of the Jedi is one of the best Star Wars movies. Like yeah. the, the whole job of the hut scene and all that. It's dark. It's messed up. It's full of action. There's great, you know, you get to see Luke finally like fully realized as a Jedi just kicking ass. Yeah. And it's really messed up. And, you know, Boba Fett dies, I guess. You know, we don't know for sure. Actually, we, I, I don't, yeah, he falls down the, the Sarlacc's throat or whatever. I mean, it's like really kind of classic over-the-top Star Wars stuff. And then the second half, even though the setting, like you said, the Moon of Endor and those those um, speeders are really cool, you know, you have the Ewoks and it just turns it into a completely different kind of movie altogether. And one that for I was the just, worse. For yeah. the worse. And I wasn't into it. And, I, and I, as you said, Phantom Menace was absolutely a kid's movie. I think George Lucas, you know, for all his pretension about all the story and making the prequels and all that stuff. He really is responsible, I think, for just being the ultimate money grubber. 
Oh, and, yeah. You know, in terms of all this merchandising and, and you know, selling out basically in, in a way, in a big way. And I just was not into it. I remember leaving the theater of, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi as a young teenager, I guess, whenever it came out, 83, something like that. Yeah, 83. Yeah. And I was just like, I hated this. I hated this. This sucks. Like, I was not into it. And so when the uh, prequels came around, Fan Menace came around and I saw the, um, you know, the commercials and all that stuff, I was just, I had left Star Wars behind, was not yeah. into it. I heard about it. I wasn't going to see them. I heard people talking about it. Curiosity got the best of me at some point. I don't remember if I saw it in the theater or not at this point, but when I saw it, I was like, I hate this. Like I was, I thought it was a horrible piece of shit. Uh, Phantom Menace. And I was like, it just kind of the same. I'm just done with star Wars. And I actually had not seen any of the other uh, movies until I watched uh, Force Awakens for this episode. So I kind of like jumped out of the Star Wars world and I was just like, this isn't for me, this is for little kids. And I left it behind. Um, so that's kind of the story for me from a personal history point of view. And it brings us back to this movie and our thoughts and evaluations of it. So I'll let you uh, kick that off. All right. So feel free to jump in with some, because I think some of our points are the same. Yeah. Uh, so it, if you want to, Go ahead and elaborate while I do it. But um, okay. So again, as I mentioned, when I first saw this, I absolutely loved it. You know, I even even with its, uh, I, you know, I did, I recognized that there were some things that bothered me. Um, uh, even at the time, like the fact that what you know, one of the biggest things, of course, is that oh, it's another fucking Death Star, which is another problem with Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah. That's, you know, not only in, in Return of the Jedi, it's kind of worse because you're you're you have a half finished Death Star and they, the you know, how underwhelming is that? This is supposed to be the climax of the story. And in the first movie, they blew up a real fully functional Death Star. And in this one, they blow up another one. And of course, in Force Awakens, it's just a bigger one the star killer base. It's like inside a planet. And they're like, there's that scene where they show the death star and they're like, yeah, this is just another death star. Right. And they're like, no, because look how much bigger this one is. And this can destroy a whole galaxy or something. You know, it's but like, isn't the plot of the movie, the same plot as the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go into that more. Um, but it's weird how like you, like you're, I think you're thinking is like, why didn't people understand that this was such a remake? You know, yeah. it's like, it's such the same. There's so many uh, similarities, right? Yep. So watching the film when I first saw it, um, there were quite a few things I like that I still like about it. And I'm going to go into those. Like, what do I, because obviously my evaluation is going to be negative, but um, what do, what did I like about it then that I still watched this time and I liked? Okay. So firstly, the stylistic stuff in the movie, right? You have the crawl at the beginning, just like any Star Wars movie. That's a that's a, there's certain things that are required in a Star Wars movie, and there's certain things that I would argue are not. And I think J.J. Abrams' problem is he feels like to make a Star Wars movie, you have to make Star Wars again. Yeah. And uh, there, but there are certain things you have to do, right? So one of them is you have that crawl. Um, but one thing he does that Lucas didn't do in the prequels is the style of the filming is very much like the original Star Wars. You have the kind of camera sweeps, like the side sweeps that happen. 
when the crawl ends, you have the camera pan down to a planet, you know, or pan down to an action scene. That's like very Star Wars, right? So it, it looks like Star Wars, right? Um, and of course, you have John Williams, who seems to be immortal. I mean, guy, he's got to be pushing 90 now. He's so old, still making music. And the music is really good, just like it always is. Even in the prequels, the music is good, you know, because it's John Williams. He writes really memorable stuff. In um, fact, by the way, on that, the Star Wars theme that was played at the beginning of the show was actually him conducting the Vienna uh, Philharmonic and oh, doing cool. his music a few years ago, not like maybe five years yeah. ago. So That's he is crazy. very elderly, but he uh, he did a great job of that. So that was actually him with the uh, Vienna Philharmonic, just as That's an cool. Yeah. So, you know... And watching this again, I watched the opening sequence, you know, and I, it's probably still my favorite part of the movie because there are certain clever things that are done and that set the scene that kind of show the potential of what could have been. Because I was when I saw this, I'm like, holy shit, this is really new, um, which is not how I feel about 90 percent of the movie now. Um, but there's this sequence where, you know, uh, the stormtroopers land on this uh, planet Jakku and, you know, they. They, you know, there's basically some character played by Max von Sydow that is, of course, what has he got? He has a secret little USB uh, you know, flash drive or something to put inside a droid, just like the first movie. Oh, my Again, goodness. Again, when I first saw this, I didn't even think about that. But it's the same device as, you know, the message that Princess Leah hides in R2 in the first movie. It's uh, oh, so we have another. <laughs> right. Yeah. Help us, Obi-Wan. Help us, Max von Sydow or Poe Dameron or whoever. You know, it, it's like they, they're the same device. They're going to put it in a droid again. Um, so he does this, right? And then the stormtroopers with Kylo Ren uh, attack. And one thing I really like about this sequence is, I first of all, you see how powerful Kylo Ren is, which is ironic considering in the end, I'm going to say he's one of the weakest villains possible, right? But at the beginning, he repels a blaster uh fire blaster fire with the force so you're like wow okay this is a badass he's like darth vader but like a new generation and then you have this stormtrooper who um is kind of in shell shock he's like in this battle and he's he's like wait a minute what have i gotten myself into and there's this great clever thing that jj abrams does where you know a villager gets shot and the stormtrooper goes over to him and then the person puts it, uh, their hand, it's a bloody handprint on his helmet. So then you can identify who this is, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to identify this guy. And he's just kind of wandering around lost. And I'm just like, wow, okay. You know, we've never seen this side. You know, the empire is just faceless and the stormtroopers are just these faceless warriors. And here's this one who's actually a person, right? And then he, you know, ends up, kind of deserting right and i'm just like holy shit and then of course at later scene he takes his helmet off and it's like a black guy <laughs> so it's like it's like totally wait a minute they're doing something completely new here that i've never seen before so i loved that when i saw that in the movie i'm just like okay they're doing something completely new and i actually like that character a lot there's a couple of scenes where he really overdoes it like there's a scene later in the film where finn you know is like to, to this character Phasma, one of the, you know, the, 
Star Wars movies since the prequels have done this where they introduce a character and you're like, yeah, this is just to make a toy because the character doesn't really do anything. Right. And you're supposed to think this Phasma character who looks is a stormtrooper, but is a silver helmet. It's a female. You know, it's like, wow, this is a real badass. But of course, in the movie, she doesn't do anything badass and mostly just, you know, gets her ass kicked or whatever. So she like, you know, there's a later scene where he's like, you know, I'm the boss now. I'm the boss now. Yeah. And I thought that was way over. It was ridiculous, right? But then there are certain scenes where I and I'll play a clip that I kind of like the humor, like that the humor was back. And again, when I'm watching this for the first time, I'm just comparing it to the prequels and the tone of the prequels. And this movie is already fun to me. You know, it's like it's got some darkness with that opening scene uh, with the bloody print on the on the helmet, but then it's got some humor too. And then, of course, there's Ray, who's the main character, right? We'll talk a lot about her. But I think as far as the acting, both of these actors, I like them. You know, I think they do a good job with what they're given. I think what they're given is the problem. I don't think it's them. And I think that Daisy Ridley is really good in it. You know, she's got this kind of, um, you know, I love the opening scenes of her just kind of ticking down the days and how she's the quiet scenes of her scavenging. It reminded me of some of the quietness of the original Star Wars, which there's not enough of in this movie for me um, right. because things move so quickly. But in the original Star Wars, you have those really long kind of Lawrence of Arabia like sequences of the big desert. And especially when you see it on the big screen, it's so spectacular of just these tiny droids walking across this, you know, just going across Tatooine for scenes and scenes. It just lets you kind of soak in the world and get the atmosphere. And this movie doesn't do that enough, right? It's right. just boom, 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 action, action, action. Cause that's again, the zeitgeist we're in. That's what movie, you know, fast and furious Marvel. We're expected to see tons of action and there's no cinema, at least Star Wars had some of that 70s kind of cinematic quality to it, right? Well, I, I, mean, I mean, being able to rest visually and all the rest is important to appreciate the action. I mean, it's the same in music, too, right? If everything is just fast and furious, you, you, don't, you can't juxtapose it against something slow and maybe right. meandering a little bit. And it's important. I, I think it's an important concept. Right? And you can't get immersed in the world. Right. Because it's just moving quickly, quickly. There's no time to stop and just look at the what they've created. Um, and that's I don't I don't even think Empire has this as much as Star Wars. Empire is much more like this movie where it's like there's constant action, but there actually no, there is some quiet in, in Empire because you have Yoda. You have the sequences on Dagobah, right? right. Where Yoda is teaching Luke. Those are those are made to you know. Those are quiet scenes. They're made to establish character. They're made to kind of give an atmosphere. And this movie has almost none of that, right? Because you're just moving, boom, 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 from scene to scene, action to action. And um, I think the opening, when I saw this movie at first, I was like, oh, they're doing the same thing where it's like establishing the character. You know, she's kind of quietly scavenging around. And I kind of like that. And I think even though we're going to talk about how Ray is like the superhero who has more powerful, you know, is more powerful than anybody without any fucking training whatsoever. And this is a controversy that happened on the Internet. And you've got these men's rights activists and these woke people arguing with each other about this. It's ridiculous because, grief. yeah, it's it's ridiculous to to get to, to think that because I do think 
she acts all that well. Like when she uses the force well, she's almost like surprised, like, holy shit, I did that. And she, the character, I think she brings that to the character that's not in the script, right? And I think the script does her character a disservice by not showing her failing more, right? right. Because she just kind of stopped, she kind of figures out the Jedi mind trick on her own. You know, she's um, be- bitching with the lightsaber. So is Finn. He's awesome with the lightsaber without ever picking one up. You know, right. and it's like, I think that does the, that's the script, a failing of the script. But I think the actors, you know, I think she actually, you can see in her, she's actually like, whoa, I just did this. Holy crap. Or she's kind of realizing in her facial expressions, really. So I think I like her as an actress a lot, but I just think the script does her a disservice by not giving her the a chance to actually develop because she's already good. Right? right. And by by the way, Rise of Skywalker, if you've ever seen it, she's like fucking moving entire fleets of ships around with their fucking mind. I mean, this is the most powerful character in the history, more powerful than Emperor Palpatine, anybody, um, you know, that's ever lived. And it's kind of like it it's fine to have that, but you need to have a reason, a, a ch- challenges for her to get there. And they're never there. Right. Because right. she's already badass. So that's, yeah, I'm already I talking talk a lot about, about that stuff. in my section too. Just, I go into yeah. that a lot more detail. Yeah. Well, 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 we can, we can leave that for your section. I'll, I'll, you know, cause there's a lot to talk about there, but I want to play a clip that I kind of like, I don't know if you like this scene. I kind of like it. Um, and it was one of the scenes <sighs> so that hit me. The resistance. Yeah. Obviously. Yes, I am. With resistance. Yeah. I am with the resistance. I've never met a resistance fighter before. Oh, this is what we look like. Some of us. Others look different. BB-8 says he's on a secret mission. He has to get back to your base. Apparently he has a map that leads to Luke Skywalker and everyone's after it. Luke Skywalker? I thought he was a myth. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Maybe it tries too hard. You know, there, there's a lot of the kind of humor in this movie. They really try hard. Yeah. Um, but I kind of liked it. And it was, I remember when I first saw it, I was kind of like, you know, this is fun. You know, I was swept up in it and I still think it's okay. I think it's cool that they try to inject that humor. Um, and then, of course, what what else do I like uh, as far as actors? Well, Adam Driver, I think is an awesome actor. I think he's one of the best actors around right now. Um, his character is really weird. And I think there was a potential to develop that character in a different way because he's kind of like this Darth Vader wannabe and he's very emo. You know, he's like a, yeah. a teen. There's a lot of teen angst and it's almost funny. Like when when he's given bad news, he just throws these temper tantrums and shit. The only problem, and I love his intensity. Like there's a scene at the end where they fight uh, uh, with a lightsaber ballad battle and he's almost got tears in his eyes uh and he's like just intense with emotion and even the scene that i think is one of the worst scenes which we'll probably talk about more during years is the death of han solo um uh he had he brings like a believability to it i think the weakness isn't him again it's how the character is written because the character is supposed to be this really scary villain and he's pretty weak you know, he gets his ass kicked over and over again. He loses. Why would you write a? Uh, why would you write the beginning of a new trilogy 
where this character's supposed to be the ultimate villain and he loses and he loses throughout the movies like even in the last jedi he fails he fails again and again and again right and it's like i think the actor was a good choice i think the the screenplay writing is the bad choice right so yeah. i like him in it um i think the special effects are incredible in this movie i think that um they don't look overly cgi even though they are the 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 way things blend together the visuals it feels like star wars to me um I think the design of BB-8 is is great. It's a completely memorable droid. It's as memorable looking as C-3PO or R2-D2. Yep. Um, and even though, you know, and there's some funny little things it does or whatever, even though it's like, yeah, it's another droid, it's kind of a recycled thing, they did something that is as memorable, you know, as of, of a design. So I thought the design was cool. Okay, what's wrong with this movie? Uh the main thing that's wrong with this movie, the whole premise is wrong to me, right? So you have a trilogy. First of all, this movie shouldn't even exist because I don't believe the Star Wars story, the original story of Luke Skywalker and his family and all that, needed a chapter seven, eight, and nine. I really think it should end with Return of the Jedi because you have this prequel that establishes, these prequels that establish the rise of Darth Vader and how we got the Empire. and then. All of that is defeated. So what the hell, um, what the hell do are we fucking doing by having these three new chapters? That's what I'm not sure I get. Um, it seems extraneous. And so now the choice you need to make when doing the last three chapters is when to start them and what happens, right? So you have uh Return of the Jedi with with the with the resistance winning, and you basically uh, need to say, okay, well, what happens after that? Right, the resistance wins, and then they're in power. But we don't get that with this movie. What we get is a, a basically a situation where the resistance that had won is now. The resistance again, <laughs> you know, the empire. So in other words, we're led to believe that all that shit that was achieved in the first and in, in the episodes four through six, all that stuff that was achieved meant nothing. Right. Because they ended up losing. And so to me, the whole premise of this is wrong. What you need is you need the story of them now ruling and if you want the Empire to come back, you have to tell that story. How does the Empire come back? How does the First Order happen? Well, they do have this series of books that they came out with when the movie came out that's called Aftermath Series. It's a trilogy. And it tells the story of, okay, what happened between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens? And I started reading the synopses. I've never read the books. Um, I started reading the synopses of you know, what these books contain. And it's just a bunch of other characters you don't care about. It doesn't really answer any of the questions of what really happened to create the First Order. And really, it's ridiculous. And, you know, there was this series of books, uh, as I mentioned, this Thrawn, these, Timothy Zahn is a sci-fi writer. He wrote these books called the Thrawn Trilogy. It starts with this book called Heir to the Empire. And it's about this Admiral Thrawn and it's actually a good kind of what could have been, right? So this story, this guy, 
He's a low level, uh, you know, uh, leader of the empire. And he basically rebuilds the empire and then attacks the Republic, which has been reestablished by Leia. And it all takes place pretty soon after, after the uh, return of the Jedi. So you couldn't do that. Right. Because, um, you would have to use like, uh, anti-aging technology like they did in that movie, The Irishman with Robert De Niro, which I think looks pretty weird, uh, you know, when you try to de-age the actor to make them younger again. So I think that would have been a mistake. But, um, and this is similar to what Lucas wanted to do. What his idea was, was there were, it was kind of like the, he was influenced by the Iraq war. Um, so, so much for him writing these years ago, right? So he said, I was influenced by the Iraq war and what happens to Saddam Hussein's army after, you know, the good guys, quote unquote, win, right? Well, they form a terrorist group. And so that was his idea was that the remnants of the empire would become, they would be the re- resistance and they would be fighting against the Republic. And there's your movie right there. Yeah, it's, and a, then, it's a good plot. Yeah, it's a good plot. And then he also said, like, oh, you know, the Republic becomes unstable and the Huts, like Jabba the Hutt and the and their other Huts, other crime lords kind of get together with the uh, with the Empire and they form a resistance of their own. So you have now they're the Republic and they're having to protect against these terrorists. Right. So that would have been a much cooler idea. Now, would I want Lucas to do it after seeing the prequels? No. But maybe if you gave J.J. Abrams that. And he took some of his stylistic stuff. Maybe you'd end up with a better movie. But to me, just this whole idea of like, let's just forget all the shit in Return of the Jedi. They fuck it up. The First Order comes back. And what what are we left with? We're left with fucking A New Hope. That's what we're left with, right? Like, as you've mentioned, as I've mentioned, it's the same fucking story, right? Yeah. And then there's the shit of, like, J.J. Abrams does this a lot. And the shit that drives me crazy is... As Douglas Adams once said, space is big, <laughs> yet these characters just run into each other in the vastness of space, right? We yeah. just happen to run into Han Solo, right? She just happens to be on a planet where the completely operable and ready-to-fly Millennium Falcon is there. Now, m- keep in mind, this is a planet where everybody, there's all of these wreckages. It's really cool looking, right? You have these Imperial destroyers just in the dust, right? There was obviously some battle. And I think in the aftermath books, they talk about what this battle was that's on this uh, Jakku, I guess this is a planet. It's kind of like a Tatooine-like planet, right? Yep. A desert planet. And there's all these wreckages and you see them and you're kind of like, whoa, that's really cool. What happened here, right? Um, but of course, she's sitting there and the whole populace is making their living by they scavenge material from these old ships and old parts, you know, they scavenge old parts and then they turn it in for this thing called a portion, which is food, right? Yeah. So all of these people are scavenging, yet somehow the Millennium Falcon is untouched. Which is complete like, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like exactly. how is that untouched? Like, you, you know, it's right in the center of town for one thing. Right. right? It's right near this, this town, right? And it's untouched, right? So that's one th- problem I have. But wouldn't I got a question about that? So I agree a thousand percent that, and I get into a thousand more yeah. of those things of yeah. bullshit. But wouldn't the Millennium Falcon be like you know one of these famous battleships that we have in like harbors around the world? You know, oh yeah, wouldn't that be been sold to a museum or had like or 
conversely, as you're saying, completely stripped for parts like instantly, right? Like all over the place. It just doesn't make any sense that it's sitting there like in flying and flying shape. It's it's nonsense, right? The other thing is it's like, yeah, it's 40 years later, yet it's almost a fucking hundred, you know, it's been more than a hundred years since World War One. Have we forgotten World War One? Yeah, right. somehow people are like, oh, I thought Luke Skywalker was a legend. Right. It's like, what? It's 40 years. Yeah, yeah. I know. How would they fucking forget this shit? Yeah. It's stupid. Right? Yeah, it's not like it's not like 40,000 years. Right. I mean, yeah, the yeah. original Star Wars is guilty of this too. Yeah. Right. Because because Obi-Wan is in the desert and they're like, oh, I've heard tales of old this. And it's ben? like, yeah, <laughs> old Ben. And yet he's the, one of the most famous people in the known universe. Right. Yeah. And yet they're just like they've never heard of them. Yeah. Um, so at any rate. And then, of course, you get, um, you know, when you're making a Star Wars movie, of course, you have to have some arch villain behind the scenes pulling the strings like the Emperor. Right. Emperor Pal- Palpatine. Um and you have this character, Stoke. And I, when I first saw this thing, I loved it. I was like, holy shit. Because you, when you first see him, it turns out he's a hologram, but you don't know that. But he's massive. Right. And you're like, what the fuck is this thing? Okay, we're going to find out about the Sith. We're going to find out this is, the, this is even more powerful than the Emperor, right? right? Well, it turns out, no, he's not. And in the second movie, they kill him almost instantly. And I thought he was just like, I thought he was like the power behind the power behind the power it turns out he's some clone or something if you go to like wiki you know uh you can go to like wikipedia which is like a star wars wiki and you could find out all about this character and his backstory and all the you know there have been books written and and comics and whatever he's just some clone or something you know he's not even that big of a deal so it's like they don't really go into him and part of this movie was the promise of what was going to come next And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, the Stoke character is awesome. This is really cool looking. Um, But it turns out they do nothing with him. And it's just kind of a diversion, right? So, and then, of course, you know, in the original Star Wars, you had Darth Vader and you have Kylo Ren. And then you, of course, have to have a Grand Moff Tarkin, right? So you have this screaming and everybody's British, of course. Everybody on the bad side has to be a British accent. Um, And you have this actor, Domhnall Gleeson. And I call him not so Grand Moff Tarkin <laughs> because he's just kind of a shadow. I mean, Grand Moff Tarkin was cool and collected like, well, Vader, you want us to leave in our hour of triumph? You know, it's like yeah. it's like he's kind of a bureaucrat, but kind of like, you know, he's great. He, he You know, and, and it was also George Lucas paying homage to the Hammer films. You know, it was like him having and he had later he would have Christopher Lee play Count Dooku in the prequels, which is unfortunate because Christopher Lee is awesome and it was just a stupid use of him. Um, but, you know, they're paying homage to their childhood by having Peter Cushing uh, right. play. So well, it was, these it Shakespearean was all, actors with that Oh, yeah, yeah, of, exactly. You give you it know, the gravitas, gravitas too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then of Kylo Ren, you know, of course we have to have these familiar relationships, you know, and um, I would argue that Empire kind of created a monster, right? Because we had Luke... Uh, be Darth Vader's son, which is awesome, right? That was mind-blowing. It was totally groundbreaking. And it led to depths we didn't see. You know, in this, it just expanded the universe and created this potential that I think has never really been realized. Um, but but it's it was awesome at the time, right? This revelation. Well, you had Lawrence Kasdan 
wrote that movie. You know, this great scriptwriter. Of course, he wrote this movie too. But what did he do? He just ripped himself off. So Kylo Ren is Luke and Le- you know, it's Leia yeah. and Han's son, which is like, what the fuck? Okay, everybody's got to be related. Um, but the the truth about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, by the way, Luke being Darth Vader's son, that's probably true. I, obviously, in the story, it is true. But there's a lot of other, like, probably offspring of Darth Vader had by space prostitutes everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, then they do, in Jedi, they do something even dumber, which is to make Leia his twin sister. You know, it's like everybody's got to be related, even though space is big, as Douglas Adams said. So having Luke be Darth Vader's son is cool. You know, but having these family relationships keep exploding all over the place. And then, you know, just him being... Han Solo's son is weak, and um, and he seems more powerful than Darth Vader. I mean, he was repelling a, you know, the use of the Force in the first film was so subtle, right? right? And in these movies, it's like they're fucking blocking everything. They're just making shit fly across the room, and you know, um, and then of course he's still weak. You know, he's like he's kind of a baby, and it's like, how is this villain going to give us be a threat to anyone? Because he just loses every time. So to me, it was really unfortunate. I I really liked when I saw the first film, you know, he's looking at that mask of Darth Vader and it's like this cult of Vader, you know, but we don't really get why that was or how that happened. You get a little bit of flashes of it in the next two movies, but it's not never really explained. And it's like, it's again, it's just sloppy to me. It's just like, how do we get Darth Vader in this movie? Oh, we make this guy worship Darth Vader and wear a mask, you know? And so that's how we just remake the same thing. You know, that's when I first saw it, I didn't think of it that way. A lot of uh, storytelling shortcuts, you know, that don't work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you have Han and Leah, right? You have these characters back again. Um, And, uh, you know, I think they try to do their best with what they're given. I mean, it's it, it was an emotional thing when I saw this movie to see them again, you know, and to see Chewbacca and all this. It was it was, of course, I think Chewbacca's in the prequels as well. Um, but, um, you know, it was it was kind of like, wow, this is really powerful. And all they had to do was stand there. And that's what they did, you know, at first. And then they kind of have this um, interaction. And then when they what they do with them is so frustrating because they basically broke have broken up up off screen because of what happened to Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, their son, right? And so you get this scene here. So I wanted you to put this clip on. Lost our son forever. No, it was Snoke. He seduced our son to the dark side, but we can still save him. Me, you. If Luke couldn't reach him, how could I? Luke is a Jedi. His father, there's still light in him. I don't know. Kylo Ren yeah. seduced by a lot of things, probably like kind of you know uncles that shouldn't be touching him and things like that. That maybe uh, are <laughs> yeah. related yeah, exactly. to his anger what issues did Luke that we do can to talk him, about. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so actually, and I said Stoke because I'm an idiot. It's Snoke. Yeah. Whatever. That's how stupid this character is. But it was like it was Snoke who seduced him. This weird kind of cult. Yeah. Uh, this weird kind of clone thing. I that don't know. He Emperor wants Palpatine's to be seduced. He's asking created. for it. He's yeah. asking for it. I think. But it's just like that's what they do with these characters. They just invent this son, and 
you know, they're broken up and it's all melancholy. And it's just like such a missed opportunity to uh, have these characters interact and the really, you know, the chemistry they had together. You can still sense it, but it's just not there in the story. And so I really was, um, you know, really was uh, bummed by that. And then Harrison Ford is almost comatose in this role. I mean, I he's thought kinda, he's terrible. He couldn't yeah. act at all. Yeah. Well, there's one scene I liked, uh, even though the scene is around the destroying of the Star Killer base, which is the Death Star of the movie, and that's all ridiculous because it almost like they destroy it almost by accident. They don't really know what they're doing. But Finn says to him, "You know, oh, well, you know," he's like, "What? You're insane!" So you get this cranky Harrison Ford come to life in a for a second, and he's like what, you're in sanitation? And he says, well, Finn's like, we'll just use the force. And Harrison Ford says, that's not how the force works. I mean, that that was kind yeah. of funny. You know, so it was like, he kind of comes to life a little bit there, but you kind of wanted that. And, and you know, he, there's another scene where he says like, you know, they're, that's when they're on his cargo ship and they, you know, those, those uh, bounty hunters come looking for him, the people who he owes money to. And he's, I'll just talk my way out of it. Like I always do. And that's kind of funny. You kind of want more of that. And you really don't get it. And it almost it does feel like Harrison Ford comes to life a few times. But I blame mostly I blame the script because that what they give him to do, it's just not Han Solo. It doesn't feel like him. And like you said, he's kind of sleepwalking through it. He doesn't seem into being there no, for the most part. Not at and all. so uh yeah, the chemistry, the kind of ba- the quick kind of fast talking. Like his girl Friday bringing up baby, thirties kind of you know banter. You don't get that between them anymore, and it's like it really feels kind of depressing to see them again. Watching it again, when I first saw it, I was just blown away to see them at all, and then, you know, you're you're watching it again. It, it just doesn't hold up. There's no chemistry there. So, um, you know, and then of course the plot device we mentioned the the little USB stick or whatever they put into BB-8. It's the same plot device. Oh, we get, we get, even though it's a map to Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it's not the plans. Somehow they get the plans and, you know, it's the same thing. For some reason, the Empire can build these massive Death Stars and they always build these little vulnerabilities in them. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, all right. I, I'll I'll let me, let you, me go into that and you can chime in on that because I have a whole yeah. rant about that. Okay, and then there was this whole controversy over Ray. We talked about her, right? Is she a Mary Sue? That's a, a kind of derogatory uh, a character that was based on this old Star Wars fan fiction thing. It's basically a character that can do no wrong. I would argue Harry Potter is kind of this because yeah. in the Harry Potter movies, he even though he's threatened and stuff and there's bureaucracy, he really can do no wrong. He's the most powerful magician ever, even though he's a novice. You know, it's the same thing. Luke Skywalker is kind of one too. Because even though he's trained, he's still pretty badass in the first movie. Ray, is she one? Yes and no. As much as maybe the other characters are, maybe a little more. But um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that she just kind of figures out the Jedi mind trick scene, it's like, I think the actress does it well to make you convinced she's kind of like, wow, I can kind of do this shit and it's coming out of me now. But it's like, why not give her the chance to learn this shit like Luke did with Yoda. You know, why not have a training? You know, and obviously in the second film, 
you know, The Last Jedi, we get a little bit of that with Luke Skywalker. Mostly he doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody. And um, they don't do that. And you kind of want to see her learn things because that's what you want. You want to see a character improve. And but struggle. she's already perfect. And triumph. And struggle. Right? And she's yeah. already a badass. She already yeah. beats the villain in the first movie. What's the point of having two more? I, I know. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, even though I think the actress does well with what she's given. And then, of course, you also have the cave scene, right? You Another thing they rip off, right? You have the cantina scene, which you'll probably talk about more, the reggae. Um, but in that cantina, she goes to the basement and she has a dream sequence very similar to what Luke has in the kind of uh, cave where he sees his face under Darth Vader's mask, right? That whole surreal scene. They rip right. that off, too, from Empire. Yeah. So, um, and then of course the worst thing they do in the whole movie, the worst, um, absolute worst thing to me was the death of Han Solo because it, it just very cynically inverts the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Yeah. And it, it basically the same takes location us, basically. Yeah. It's like the same kind of location, a quiet scene. And they're watching just like Luke watches on a uh, bridge with, yeah, in a the bridge. big tunnel where something right. is going to, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous and it's it's cynical and it reminds me of what JJ Abrams did in what I consider his worst film ever, which is Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a cynical remake of The Wrath of Khan, which is another one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. And Wrath of Khan has this incredible emotional scene, one of the best acted scenes of William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy's career, maybe the best that William Shatner ever was when Spock dies. Right. And that is a moving scene. It's powerful. And what does he do in fucking Into Darkness? Oh, he makes Kirk sacrifice himself. Right. He makes Kirk do the same thing that Spock did, although Kirk doesn't die. Right. But it's right. this whole thing of like, oh, uh, you know, and, and that movie was so the screenplay is so good in Wrath of Khan. It's like the, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. It's like it's just a brilliant work of writing. And this movie just rips it off in a way that's so cynical, it's so manipulative. And the death of Han Solo is the same thing, right? It's like, we have to have a death of a major character because, again, J.J. Uh, Abrams is doing his paint-by-number Star Wars thing. Well, not only do we have to have some of the Star Wars tropes to make it Star Wars, we have to have all of Star Wars's plot to make it Star Wars. And that is what, watching this movie for a third time, has shown me it's just it is a complete carbon copy and there's very little original the i do like some of the things about it i enjoy some of the acting i enjoy the look and feel of it but to watch it again the third time was really hard i was really bored because i knew um there was no i can watch star wars a million times let's just put it that way i can watch star wars empire i can watch them over and over again the scenes that have impact still impact me even though i know what's going to happen this movie, it, I don't care about anything, yeah, right? Because I, it's just a it's just a fan fiction exercise that is a, a, a it's a, it's almost a uh, homage to Star Wars, right? It's not a parody, but it's an homage. It's a dedication to that original movie that just redoes all of the same beats, but at a much more rapid pace, at a much less cinematic pace. And so, yeah, my evaluation is it's already gone down in evaluation. It's been six years and it already lost me. So yeah. um, I think a lot of us, when we saw it, 
were just happy to see something that reminded us of the original movie and reminded us of the spirit and gave us a little bit of that feeling. Um, and you know, the prequels were very sterile and dour and this was more fun. But again, it's the same way I felt when I saw JJ Amor's Star Trek movie. It was, it, it's very similar, right? He brings back all these characters like bones and Spock and, you know, and when I first saw it, it was, I thought it was stupid, but I thought it was fun. But then seeing it again, I'm just like, I'm sick of him just ripping shit off. You know, at least with Lost, he did something really original, whatever you think of it. You know, it's it's unique. There's nothing like it. But in these movies, he just keeps redoing the same shit. And it's just unfortunate. So that's my evaluation. Yeah. Thumbs no, down. Yeah. I Look, I'm with you. If I was going to sum up, you know, here... I would say horrible. Exactly. Thank you, Paul. Horrible. Well, you know, before we go into your thing, you should say you had never seen this before. I've never seen this before. Yeah. You had no interest in it. And when I brought it up, you're like, okay, I guess I'll watch that. You know, and I was hoping (laughs) you were going with low enough expectations. You might like it, but no, (laughs) no. And all right. So let me get into it. I got a lot to say. Uh, Surprising. I know. Uh, First of all, all you Star Wars geeks out there for the like the little shit I get wrong, whatever, save it, don't care. Yeah, you know, I don't care enough about it to to really get, you know, into the well, if you would have read this non-canon book by oh, yeah. other, like I couldn't give a shit. I'm just looking at this from a from just a movie point of view. Um, we already talked about the fact that it's a ripoff of the first one. I, I think you I agree a thousand percent. There's just a lot of internal things watching this without the maybe heavy expectations or the heavy knowledge of all the intricacies and all the prequels and all that stuff that right. just doesn't make fucking sense to me. So here's here's one that the first one's 100% guilty of too, but in this one is just is, is driving me nuts, which is, you know, in the initial scene you talked about, there's like a Star Trooper pogrom essentially of this village, yeah. right, with the the blood on the on the on the helmet. All these stormtroopers walk around, run around this universe wearing these really hard to move in, plastic looking <laughs> fucking yeah, yeah. armor. It's supposed to be armor. You can't see out of it. You can't move in it. But here's the fucking thing about the armor is it doesn't work because all these villagers with their blasters are shooting all these uh, stormtroopers and they're falling after one shot. So if the armor doesn't actually help you survive getting hit by a blaster, why the fuck should you wear it? Doesn't do any good. All it does is make it hard for you to move and shoot and and operate. And this makes no sense because it doesn't really protect them at all, but yet they wear it. And nobody ever explains that to me. And that bugs the shit out of me, right? Yeah, that's a pet peeve. Of course, you you know, it's nothing unique to Force Awakens, right? No, I mean, it's in it all, all the movies. The first movie had that. They all have this. I think I think the reason the stormtroopers wear those outfits is because they look fucking awesome. That's yeah. uh, that's the thing about Star Wars is the desi- the art direction and the design of the stuff is so cool. And it was something that you think back to 1977, like, what the hell am I seeing? You know, I'm seeing this fully realized war- universe that's completely believable. Yeah. And, 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 and you're right. It's not very practical. And what's the point? What's the point? Like you could explain it away by saying, Hey, at least it takes like five blaster shots to kill you instead of one, but it doesn't like in that, in that, in that scene, one shot and they're dead. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like if I'm a stormtrooper, it's like, why would I wear this exactly? Cause I can't move in this. I can't see out of it. Right. If I get shot, I'm dead anyway. I'm just going to, you know, kind of, you know, go naked here as it were and figure it out. The other thing that 
is really weird. And I think you touched on a little bit about some of the distributed uh, characters and, and sort of uh, political economy of the empire and the, re and the Republic and First Order and stuff like that is, I, I know that they're trying to make the empire, you know, in the kind of the D&D world, sort of like a lawful evil yeah. uh, people who, you know, are part of that, you know, uh, system. But they go and they just start, you know, killing people off and all these, you know, places and are they're really horrible to like people on Jakku and all this stuff. It's like, well, wait a minute. You got to have a distributed sort of support system to make your empire work. Um, and, if, and if all these little planets and the people on the planets are better off under the empire, then they'll be aligned with the empire than the rebellion. And just like going in and destroying villages just for the just for the sheer terror of it. Um, is not going to really align all these far-flung places to your cause. And you really need the hearts and minds, as it were, of all these like far-flung things to make your empire work. And they never really get that out. Like if, you, if you're not getting cooperation, um, then, okay, you, your terrorism works, I guess. But at the same time, just going in wanton destroying of things isn't really going to align people to your cause, right? Well, that's, um, the, that's the opportunity this movie could have taken up. To you know, because if you have the the rebellion, then become the republic. Exactly. Then you can actually say what was good about the empire, right? You could actually say, uh, you could actually show maybe the republic being disorganized because democracy isn't pretty. You know, it's difficult, yeah. and maybe the you know the trains running on time kind of thing. You could have the kind of fascist elements rise up and rebel against the republic. You could Which would have been interesting. That. Yeah, yeah, that would have been, be the, that's the movie I wanted to see, yeah, right? Yeah. You want to see yeah. the other side, right? And so, um, exactly. Yeah, to your yeah. point, I agree 100%. Yeah, and, and and so that was just weird. I know it was just an action scene. Don't read too much into it. But these were the things that were occurring to me. Um, I want to talk about anthropomorphizing robots in general. And I know maybe this is overthinking it. and And this gets into sort of my professional background and stuff, which I will get into around like some AI stuff and all that. But the, the, um, they're supposed to be more relatable as characters when you anthropomorphize them and, and they're cute and all that. But I actually think in a way it's more disturbing and it sort of brings up the concept of enslavement of sentient beings in the Star Wars universe. When you have these droids who are like C-3PO is really anthropomorphized, certainly more so than R2-D2 or um, BB-8 and all that. Right. But they're essentially enslaved. And it, and I, I think that that's like a weird thing they never touch on. And they, they sort of don't touch with a 10-foot pole because you couldn't really make toys out of, you know, things that are enslaved and all that. But it's never touched on. And I, I do think there's an opportunity to at least address it if they were a little more mature in their approach. Um, just as a backstory, that's one of the least offensive things, I guess, in the in the movie to me, in a sense. Um, just it, there's many more things that they're guilty of than not thinking about that. Um, Kylo Ren is uh, torturing and sort of like a, a you know, a, uh, you know, dental chair or whatever it is, yeah. Poe Dameron to try to get out information. And eventually he just gives it up because he uses the force. But why torture him if you could just pull it out with the force? Like, it seems like yeah. a lot of extraneous stuff. Um, you, you talked about, and I get what your point was about uh, Finn and the star stormtrooper sort of uh, in this, you know, uh, battle scene and sort of having an attack of consciousness or 
you know, that, um, not consciousness, but uh, conscientiousness, I guess would be the word. Yeah. Morality. Um, and here's the problem with that is he was essentially raised as a machine. He didn't even have a name. He was a number, right? Yeah. And one of the things about morality, and I get, I know this is reading way too much into all this. This is supposed to be kind of very simplistic and all that, but morality is about choices, right? Yeah. And, and right and wrong is about choices and understanding that you have choices he, this character would have none of that. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not it's it's an idea that I think they they that I liked, but at the same time, like you're right, there's no establishment of uh, there's no development of it. There's no reason he should do this. Right? Exactly. They never explain why did he why did he cha- have a change of heart all of a sudden at being raised to this mora- this one morality. All of a sudden, he has the ability to go. Wait, this is wrong. How would he even have that ability? He wouldn't. You know, right? they don't. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you make, and I didn't think about. I mean, and again, morality uh, of these things or what's right and wrong is about is about choice, understanding that there's different ways to approach your current situation and conditions and and decisions that you make. And he would have none of that. He was raised as a number. He would only have one morality code, moral code, right? And yeah. in the middle of a battlefield, would he be scared as a as a human being or whatever the equivalent is that on in this you know galaxy? Yes, of course. You know, it's like flight or fight and you know all that stuff. But right. he wouldn't be like, oh, you know what? I'm out. This is wrong. I am going yeah. to go check into another belief system. Like that was all just like, oh, so so facile and just made me want to fucking puke. Honestly, it was so stupid. Um, Okay, so you brought this up and I asked you to delay this topic until this section, which is uh, the technology gone awry. And you have a technologically advanced society, very, very technically advanced society with absolutely no concept of fail-safe engineering in any way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, Right. So first off, there's many examples of this and you brought up a few of them. Here's another one, which is they when uh, Poe and Finn are are escaping from the Death Star, I'm just going to call it the Death Star because it's the same yeah. thing. Um, there's no concept of like a fa- uh, pe- keeping them from doing that. I mean, you have weapon systems, and they can be turned on your own people just by somebody sitting in the ship in the in the dock, and you can just start firing at your own. Like that doesn't make any sense. You would you would never do that. You would yeah, never. Yeah, it's all too easy. It's all, it's too, all easy. too fucking easy. It's like it's like even in the original film, when they're in the Death Star, I mean, it's maybe a little easier than it should be. But they, I mean, they get in the trash compactor. There, there, there's blasters going on. They're constantly yeah. being pursued, and they and and you know, it's it's all for comedic effect too because they're you know Luke's short, and so he yeah. has a short. So, you know, it's it's funny, and it's similar to the. It, you know they're they're kind of playing on some tropes and 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 having fun with them, but they still have a hell of a time in there. And it's like in this, it's like boom, get in a ship. He of course knows how to fly everything. Uh, of course, they fly. There's a little bit of suspense with the you know the thing being tethered there, but then boom, they're out of there. And of course, Finn's automatically you know an expert at firing these guns too. Although I will say, Star Wars is guilty of this too. Luke is manning the guns, you know. Um, but it, you're right. It's too easy. It's much too easy. Well, for them. I mean, a, the Empire is just completely incompetent in a way that it never was before. And, like, and it wouldn't be. It just wouldn't yeah. be. You can't have that kind of advanced sort of technological uh, society 
and have such easy to fuck up things. Another example of this, by the way, is Phasma. Is that the character? The, yeah. Yeah. She's just like, he's just like, yeah, with a gun at her head. Yeah. Turn off all the tractor beam shit. Yeah, no problem. And she just hits a couple commands on the keyboard and the whole fucking Death Star is now turned off where the shields are off. Like right. that would never fucking happen. There's no yeah. concept of security or access controls or or fail safes where somebody's just like, hey, uh, should Phasma be turning off the entire shield system of the Death Star? You know, from this command post, it's like, no, that doesn't seem like something you would enable an individual to do no matter who they are. Like, look, even in modern 1980s USA with nuclear launch keys, you have multiple keys that you need to turn to do something. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? like, man. Like, totally. <laughs> it's like, wait, one person could just shut all this off? I mean, it's so fucking stupid. It just drove me insane. Now, I yeah. know, again, you know, my kind of professional background, I think about these engineering systems of these sorts of things a lot. And, and but it's just, so, it's just so stupid. I couldn't get away from it. Um, the other thing is like, not only is their technology incredibly advanced, but also incredibly dumb at the same time, they have no concept of like security protocols or, you know, secrets or like uh, Poe tells Finn, a stormtrooper refugee that he just met all about the map to Luke. Like yeah. maybe that's not a smart thing to do. It's like, yeah. oh, hey, I just, Finn says, yeah, I, I'm a, I am a deserter from the empire or first order, whatever, same difference. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, cool. We're now aligned. And let me tell you all about all these deep yeah. secrets about, come on, totally. come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, BB-8, I, I get it's kind of cool. He's kind of cute, but he has magical traction on sand. And shit like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's just stupid. Just come I on. I mean, I think some of these things, all of Star Wars is guilty of. I know. And some of the things are particular to this. But I also think, look, the first movie, when Luke destroys the Death Star, it's this one in a million chance, right? You're led yeah. to believe that he's going to shoot this thing and he's like, you know, and, and and it's 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 like a, it's a fairy tale and it's it's one in a million chance. But to do that over and over again drives me nuts. Like, whereas the Empire, like you said, you think they would learn yeah, <laughs> you know, there's not a post maybe the first mortem. movie there was this tiny vulnerability, yeah. and the vulnerabilities just get worse. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. <laughs> there, there's no post mortem. Like shit, we yeah. learned about the destruction of the Death Star. Hey, right. Number one, don't have a single point of failure. That yeah. wouldn't that be like the first thing that on like an engineering post mortem? It's like, well, how right. is the Death Star destroyed? They were able to fire a single shot and cause a chain reaction. Got right. it. Let's not engineer systems that are that weak. Uh, you know, and have a single point of failure going forward. And what do they do? They have something, the star killer or whatever it is, supposed to be like, you know, way more advanced, way more, you know, uh, sophisticated, same vulnerability. It's like, where's the people getting fucking fired for this shit? Apparently they learned nothing whatsoever, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, this is a weakness in Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back. It's also a weakness in Force Awakens to Last Jedi, which is that, they destroy the main base. They destroy this thing that the the First Order put all this uh, energy into. Same with the original Death Star. They destroy it. Yet somehow in the second movie, the Empire is more powerful than ever. Right. And it's the same way with the Last Order. That didn't do anything to them. They destroyed this thing. They destroyed, you know, tens of thousands of soldiers and, you know, the, the whole base and all their, their main base wound. of operations. But it's like <laughs> somehow in the second movie, they're stronger than ever. Yeah. Wait a minute. 
What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it brings up like, what's the economic basis for them having all these yeah. resources to, yeah, to build exactly. all this? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are, are they are they mining shit like spice and dune? Anyway, the, I I mean I I'm sparing the listeners, not even going into all that. Yeah, yeah, but that's shit. A, that's that, to be fair. J.J. Abrams is just reproducing the same weaknesses that were already there, fair and just enough. making them worse. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you you mentioned about the Millennium Falcon being dry docked for years and being able to be flown. I'm going to go one up on that. So not only was it sitting there in perfect working order, this got to knock some rust off of it. This this native girl on this planet, Ray. Um, she gets in it and knows how to fly something as complicated as the Millennium Falcon by fucking osmosis. And I know that, um, again, this is a trope. You mentioned it before. It's like, oh, well, it's because of the force. All right. So here's my biggest problem with this is the, in the early, and again, save it, Star Wars nerds. I don't want to hear it because in the early movies, the force was sort of like a, um, you know, it was like extra sensory perception in a sense that you were tapping into all these, you know, naturalistic things that were there in the world in a way more sophisticated. You were more observant. Your senses were more attuned. You were able to just kind of marshal these things that existed in a more sophisticated way than your average Joe or Joan. But in this movie and some of the other ones, the Force is really just a quasi-religious thing, right? Where you just have omnipotence. Um, she gets you all this like supernatural, like um, you know, godlike powers. Uh, it's a it's a religiosity thing that just personally for me is a huge uh, turnoff. All the stuff about oh well, you just have to have faith and it magically happens is all just uh, makes I I can't I can't deal with it. it. It becomes more than what I think it was intended to be, at least in my opinion. Um, anyway, Ray flying the Millennium Falcons. She gets in there, Millennium Falcon, she gets in there with um, stepping foot or studying it for years or like they could have said, well, I've been studying this. I've been using my little simulator to fly it because it's the most famous ship in the galaxy or something like that. She gets in there and not only can she fly it, this really complicated thing, but she can fix it. She can fix complicated engineering systems. She can fly it into a massive air battle and win against seasoned pilots, you know, who oh, are yeah. professional. Like, Come on, it's so dumb. It's the equivalent of saying, you are a single uh, engine pilot who can fly like little single engine crop duster planes, getting into the most advanced fighter pilot in the world and being able to fly it, take off, not only be able to get it off the ground and fly it and figure out all the controls, but fly it into battle against the best navies in the world and win. Yeah. Dumb, this is dumb. I, I, I mean, I know she's supposed to have the force, but if the force, to your point about no struggle, no training, is this you're endowed with like godlike powers and that's the thing, then what's the point of the movie? Then she could just, you know, like you said, move around air fleets and spaceships with her mind. Then what? Why? Why is there a struggle? Why is there a plot tension? It just, I don't know. It just makes me just shake my head. Yeah, and that's stupid. that's my beef. It's like because Star Wars is guilty of these things too, right, Luke? He's flying like like even Han Solo says this ain't like Dustin Crops boy you exactly know? like like it but but he does in the end use the force to you know become the hero and he's he does have some pilot experience they I mean there's other Star Wars you know there's like an audio thing that was on uh, public radio back in the late seventies that actually expands on the plot of Star Wars that has some of the original actors it's pretty cool it's on YouTube and he you know. Um, you know, he's friends with the, uh, I forget the the pilot's name, 
but he's friends with the pilot who's in the resistance. He talks to Luke about Porkins. joining. He's one, yeah. Well, it, was, it wasn't Porkins. It was a, it was another. Uh, it was the other guy. But um, but basically, um, you know, there's some background of him flying around and training. So so you get a little of that. But it's guilty of that too. I just think this movie makes everything more uh, exaggerated. Uh, you know, it exaggerates that it has to it has to repeat Star Wars, but it also has to one up it, right? Because it has to be more than in a way. And so, what it does is it makes Ray so powerful. But the thing is, you get no conflict, you get no character development there, because um, even though Ray is like kind of deer in the headlights a lot, because I think the actress brings that. Yeah. Um, you know, she's still awesome. And, 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 you know, that scene with the Millennium Falcon flying among all the ruins. I mean, it's like the most incredible fight scene we've seen yet in the series, as far as like the fast moving, how fast paced it is and how intricate it is. And it's like you say, it's like, she's not only, not only could she fly at any level, she's like a complete ace. She's like the greatest pilot that's ever been. Um, well, and, and, the other thing I want to say about this, and I know, you know, it's a movie, just kind of get over it, all that. And and every sci-fi movie basically is guilty of this, which is the thing that all these movies get wrong, all the Star Wars universe, all the Star Trek universe, like all of them get wrong is human beings are just not capable of managing that kind of complexity in 3D space. Right. And all of this flying and all of these battle sequences and all this would be all AI run. Yeah. Human would have nothing to do with this whatsoever because you literally could not react and control that many variables in real time. Right, and an that reaction speed is just not possible. It's but not that, possible. That's true, of, that's true of almost every movie, right? It I is. mean, like Fast it, it and is. Furious, The Driving, they couldn't do that. All of it, you know? all of it, all of yeah. it. But at least in a sci-fi context, you have the kind of story, uh, you know, ability to say, well, you know, we have a pilot system and a battle system that's all like three um, AI managed. And that's just the way it's done. And of course, that's what it'd be done. I mean, like every movie that has like uh, flying flying cars in a city where there's like this like crazy multi-level, yeah. like no, humans can't, human beings cannot even manage a car on a two-dimensional surface of a sphere of the earth. You know, right. people are too dumb to even go red light means stop and green light means go, at least in yeah. my observation. Um, and so you, there's no way humans could could deal with this. And so Ray being able to track all this and manage this and see all this and like it's it's just dumb. And it, it takes it to such an extreme. It pulled me out of the scene instead of going, "Wow, right. this is really cool." Right. Um, all right. So you get the idea there. Uh, all right. I want to talk about Kylo Ren. You talked a lot about his emo, uh, you know, acting and all that. I thought. Adam Driver's fine or whatever. I think you've made some good points about him, um, you know, trying to bring at least some subtlety uh, to it. But I, but I do want to talk about this, that he has some significant anger management issues. <laughs> and I got to wonder what the solo Skywalker household was like when he was growing up. Yeah. Um, maybe this something else was going on. I mean, we were sort of joking about that before, but I, I got to imagine like what was happening in that house that this kid was so angry and has he can't even track, you know, uh, getting a little bit of bad news without freaking out. And by the way, as an aside, there's a Saturday Night Live skit where Kylo Ren does Undercover Boss. Uh -oh. And it's actually pretty funny. Uh, I'll have it, to check it out. Uh, Adam Driver was in it. He was hosting and is it's actually a really funny skit. But 
I don't know. I, I think the solo uh, Skywalker household, there probably needs to be some child services investigation there. They do explain that a little bit in the next movie, but it's not adequately explained. It, it's yeah. really not. And it's it's just not, um, you know, again, these characters don't learn any lessons. You know, they, they don't they don't learn what happened to Anakin and go, hey, you know, we got to watch out for this. Um it's it's it has to do with Luke training him and messing up and seeing something in the future or whatever and trying to kill him and, you know, all this. And that's what led to him, you know, going to the dark side. But it's it's never really adequately explained. Well, and like Luke, you said, why would they? Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll let you go on. I'm just going to jump ahead, but go on. No, I mean, but, but Luke, you know, was training him. Luke, I want to talk about that for a second. Uh, Luke's actually a quitter. He has one bad student and then he quits. Yeah. I, I, I mean, let's, you know, what kind of a Jedi teaching master is he? He's like, ah, oh, yeah. You know, Luke's like, yeah, I had this one student, my nephew, really shitty student kind of was easily seduced by the dark side. Again, what else was he seduced by? A lot of things, my guess. Um, probably, you know, K-pop, uh, probably, you know, <laughs> other, <laughs> other things. Uh, maybe more innocuous, but he, uh, you know, Luke's just like, yeah, one bad student, I'm out. Uh, I'm going to go hang out on this island. That's that's kind of weak. I, I do think, you know, with uh, Kylo Ren, obviously his his uh, grandfather had uh, significant anger issues, uh, many of which I think are hilarious in the first uh, movie, A New Hope, whatever I call it the first movie. Um, that we will talk about. I, I have a whole thing about that that we'll get into when we do a episode on that movie deserves its own um, episode. But anyway, right. I just think that, um, you, you know, Harrison Ford, there's, I really didn't, with Leia, I did not enjoy the nostalgia trip that they were trying to lay yeah. down. Um, I was actually uh, kind of repulsed by it. I just was like, ugh, gross. I, I just didn't want to see anything to do with them. Um, all The clip you played um, about them talking about, you know, Kylo Ren or, you know, Ben, whatever was, I was just, I don't, ugh, just couldn't get into it. Um, the movie that you, um, you know, Carrie Fisher, by the way, as bad as Harrison Ford was, I thought Carrie Fisher was worse in this movie. Yeah. I, I just couldn't take it. Well, I don't think Carrie Fisher's ever been a great actress. She's actually um, really smart and funny as a person and a writer. She's yeah. actually a pretty talented writer. Was. Um, dead. Was. Dead, oh, dead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, R.I.P. But, you know, as an actress, I mean, she even has those scenes in, um, in Star Wars where she kind of gets a British accent sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, Grand Moff talking, I smelled your foul stench. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so bad. And yeah. she, you know, and, and she she has a charisma for sure in the in the first movies. And I do like her interchanges with, I like the chemistry between her and Harrison Ford. Obviously, they dated for real. So there was some chemistry there. Um, I liked that a lot in the early movies, um, at least up until Return of the Jedi, where I think Harrison Ford, they don't really know what to do because they've decided she's this great, powerful thing. And he's kind of just this guy and, and they don't really know what to do with it. Um, and I don't think they know what to do with it here either. I think once those two got together and it became like less about the romantic tension and, and fight infighting, it lost something. And I think they don't know how to get that back. And, and so it's kind of become this melancholy, sad thing. And it's really watching it a third time. is just depressing. Like you say, it's just all depressing to me. 
Yeah, I found it depressing and just not interesting at all. And the acting between them was bad. It was like Star Wars Christmas special level acting, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, The rebellion is, uh, from a military point of view, is completely incompetent. Um, And it's a great argument against nepotism and monarchical, that would be the word, right? Transfer of power. Uh, Leia, I think, is is a terrible military strategist for a lot of reasons. One of which, by the way, and this is a military strategy, it's like basic operations is they march Finn, who is a uh, stormtrooper, okay, he he has defected allegedly and all that, right into headquarters and right up to the general of the fucking resistance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you ever hear of suicide bombers? You ever hear? Yeah. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just True. like, no wonder they're always, you know, on the run because they, they're just dumb. They, they can't get it together. And that kind of, you know, lack of cunning is just another example of that. The, the comedy bits you talked about, for the most part, for me, didn't work. I just didn't, I, it was too forced. It was too yeah. just like, we're it's trying to make forced. buddy cop movie type stuff. I didn't like it. Um, the, the other thing, like Poe, that character, rubs me the wrong way, but not anything to do with that character per se or that actor. It's that archetype is horrible. It's like the rash, risk-taking at all costs, young hero trope, and it's in every current movie, by the way. All the Marvel movies have this. The latest Matrix, horrible Matrix movie has that in the Bugs character, where it's just like, I'll just, wise beyond their years, they're like 12 years old or whatever. I'm joking. They're like in their early 20s, but they have the experience of like some wizened old, you know, hand. Um, No risk is too big, a prodigy in their capabilities, you know, First of all, in the real world, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near these people because they'd get you killed. You know, yeah. like you by almost by their charisma, you're crewman number six. You're a red shirt. You're going to die. So like yeah. nobody would be anywhere near them. They would actually get themselves killed in reality. But the the whole I volunteer for the risky mission because I'm the invincible hero thing is just fucked out. It needs to stop. Um, the reggae bar, you talked about <laughs> it. I, I don't even know what to say other than it was so such a ripoff. And I mean, the special effects were okay. I actually think the special effects of this movie, I agree with you, were pretty good. The Maz character didn't make me cringe in how bad the special effects were, but the character itself made me cringe. Yeah, it's kind of like another Yoda character. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, kind of a combination of Yoda and I don't know, you know, a barmaid, uh, uh, you know, a bartender. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I didn't. I thought a lot of that was unneeded. You know, I didn't feel I felt like it was just an excuse to uh, introduce another CGI, all CGI character and show what they could do. Um, I didn't really feel like the character did much or added much. Um, Yeah, I agree. And then, of course, they have Luke Skywalker's, you know, uh, lightsaber just hanging around in the basement of this bar. Yeah. Right. So oh, and the whole the whole Luke Skywalker (laughs) thing. What about the dumbest thing ever, which is when R2 suddenly wakes up I know. and the maps in him all the whole time. Yeah. And this whole thing of why <laughs> Luke wants to hide. And then all of a sudden Luke wants to show everyone where he is. Yeah. Makes no sense. It's all just. A, and then that whole thing of she flies at the end and you have this dramatic. And of course, I saw Mark Hamill and I was like, yes, you know, this is awesome. But at the first time I saw it, but seeing it again, it's like so manipulative, so phony. Such it a, It's so put together in a way that's pretentious and not natural. And yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. 
Well, in the rebellion, again, for their lack of military cunning and strategy, strategizing and all that, they know that the whole fucking galaxy is looking for BB-8, including the Empire of First Order or whatever. So what do you do? You roll them all over to every town you go to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, wait a minute. What? Like, wouldn't you hide him in the ship? Wouldn't you? Like, no, we're just going to roll him around every place we land. And knowing that, it, it's, it just seems, and, and not only that, oh my goodness, they roll him into Maz's bar, whatever that fucking, the cantina on Maz Eisley, whatever the this new place is called, the franchise of this. Yeah. And where it's bounty hunters, okay? Where scavengers and bounty hunters, you roll in BB-8. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and of course there fucking, is one there who reports on his whereabouts. Right. I, I mean, yeah. everybody in that would shiv you for five bucks, you know? So yeah. like, it's just like, where is the thought and cunning about this? No wonder the, the rebellion is always getting, you know, overtaken by uh, the Empire because they're so bad at it. They're just so yeah. bad at it. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, the Poe character is supposed to be like a young Han Solo type. I, yeah, whatever. N none of the charisma of the original Han Solo. Um, the uh, the uh, prudent. Okay, so like the prudence of this is that a stormtrooper who grew up without a name, Finn. Okay, who's right. a garbage man, which is obviously a call, out, a shout out to a callback to you know, the first movie where they're going to make all right. these jokes about being stuck in the garbage tra right. trash compactor. But Finn, who's a garbage man, knows all about the technical readout of the uh, Death Star or Starkiller. Yeah, exactly. What, like, what? What Would a janitor at the Pentagon know the deepest secrets of the U.S.? Right. I, come on. It's just so dumb. I, I can't even, you know, figure it out. Um, when they crash on the planet with the, uh, on, or wherever it was where the Millennium Falcon comes out of hyperspeed and crashes, uh, down onto whatever planet they're on. Is that where the bar is? I don't even remember. The hyperspeed is supposed to be faster than the speed of light. Forget that you can't actually do that. I'm willing to do that. But the traveling the speed of light is literally like 186,000 miles a second. Okay. Right. When you are going that fast and you're crashing into the ground and you don't have seatbelts in your ship, you're going through the fucking windshield. But they walk away from that crash, no, no, no problem. Uh, pretty dumb. Uh, the uh, Snoke looks like Gollum, doesn't he? Like, yeah. it's all, are all bad guys? Oh, just... he's played by Gollum too. It's, An uh, it's, it's Sandy Circus. All right, so Yeah, it's the same actor. Can, can, can we can we develop a new bad guy academy or something where we, we, right. we come up with a new generation of bad guys? Um, all right. Well, so like I said, it was when I first saw this, this was cool because it was mysterious. Like, who is this thing? And it's giant. You know, you didn't know. Later, you see it's a hologram. And in the next movie, he's a normal sized guy. But it's like you kind of wonder about the power of the Sith and where they come from and yeah. all this stuff. And then it turns out like you're right. It's just a manufactured kind of clone thing. It doesn't really add up to anything at all. And they kind of, you know, obviously Ryan Johnson was not working from the same playbook. I mean, a lot of this, the whole trilogy seems made up as it went along. You know, they had the, because J.J. Abrams, he's a technician, you know, visually, he's, he's a technical director. He's really good at action, but he's really bad at story. He just rips off shit and repurposes it to remake the movie in his own way. And it's like, that's one of the things with Snoke, where it was like such a disappointment to find out this character actually added up to nothing at all. Um, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I was looking at him. It's like, okay, he's this giant golem. It's like, okay, that's okay. But can, I, I don't know. It's sort of like after the movie Alien, all the bad guy alien and all the sci-fi movies look like the alien creatures, the H.R. Giger stuff, which I get because they were so great. But like, come on, let's invent something new here. We need a bad guy that doesn't look like a golem. So anyway, moving on. Right. Um, all right. Han the Solo. other thing you brought up, the other thing you brought up too, uh, I think you mentioned it, but it's in your notes. And I think we need to go back to this. This is one of the best points I think you make is um, how would Kylo Ren be in charge of anything? Exactly. In the Empire, right? He is, he is, he's, he loses again and again. It, there are no consequences, right? In the, in the original Star Wars, I mean, um, they were killing, you know, in the Empire, Darth Vader kills like three or four leaders after the, uh, you know, he just keep, they keep fucking up and he's like, well, you're dead. He'll just kill him. Yeah. And it's like in this movie, Kylo Ren fucks up again and again. But Snoke, what does he do? He continues to support him. Yeah. Even and yet he's completely not stable. He's volatile. I like the idea that he wasn't stable. I liked what Adam Driver did with it. I love the scene where, with the when he's fighting with, even though I don't like the scene overall because Ray is just mysteriously awesome at the lightsaber and so is Finn. I love how Kylo Ren is like hitting his wound. You know, he's like hitting his wound. It's like giving him more intensity. He's crazy. He's off yeah. the, off the cuff. You know, crazy. But at no point does anyone go. Maybe this guy should run things. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's he's kind of he's completely unstable. He fails again and again. He makes all of these tactical errors again and again. Yet there's no consequences whatsoever for that. Yeah, and, and he's not gonna he's not really an effective leader. No, you know not what I at mean? All. No one's he's gonna terrible. follow him. Everyone right. hates him. There's even that scene where he where um and, and by the way, with the scene where uh you know, Daisy Ridley, right? The uh, Ray character uh, uses the force to get out of her little uh, dental torture device. Yeah. Um, okay. For, first of all, there's a couple other scenes where like, you know, uh, Finn walks Poe right out of his, uh, you know, chambers, torture device. Nobody stops him, right? He's, he's just right. like one stormtrooper just saying, yeah, no, I'm supposed to take him over here to escape. There's no security checks. There's no like double you know, safe, fail safes about this. There's nobody saying, well, wait a minute, you're not supposed to take this prisoner out of here. Same with, the, you know, the Daisy Ridley stuff where she's leaving that. It's just really poor security control. Yeah, in the, the original Empire. Star Wars, that happened too, right? You I think know. they would learn the lesson, right? Obviously, these guys come in dressed as stormtroopers. Yeah. They're able to take the take the Chewbacca, you know. It, it, obviously, they would have probably looked back at this and go, you know, remember when the last steps, you know, the first Death Star blew up? Yeah. And the way they were able to actually get um, the disabled the tractor beam was because of these guys dressed as stormtroopers. We all so maybe we should maybe because... we should have another you know maybe we should have at least three stormtroopers and we should monitor their activities, right? Or we should Obviously, have like a security badge, like a bracelet that has like a unique ID on it, so we could say, right, right. <laughs> hey, yeah. maybe there maybe there's an enemy who's wearing this a costume, this armor. That looks like every other person where you can't distinguish an individual. Like maybe right. that would have been worked into the system somehow, which is just ridiculous. Again, the, the technologically advanced society who's really poor at like the basic execution of shit like that. Um, the um, the other thing, uh, I, again and again, there's more and more and more of these things that you go into. You get the idea. I, I do want to talk about the uh, death scene of uh, Han Solo. Uh, so the bridge thing you you talked about in your part how it was very uh, 
reminiscent of the, the first movie with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and of course it is. Here's the other thing about it. It's supposed to be this big emotional confrontation between, uh, you know, father and son, right? Right. Okay. If you're uh, Ray, you're Finn, and you're Chewie, and you're watching all this go down, you're watching your guy, Han Solo. Unarmed. Unarmed. Completely unarmed, just standing there, making himself vulnerable to the sun. Okay, so your Chewie, he's like your your you know your partner, your cop partner, whatever it is, your lifelong life partner. There, um, the other to uh, to uh, Ray, he's the hero, right? She already knows all about Han Solo, so forth and so on. He's walking across the bridge unarmed. Your arch enemy, Kylo Ren, is coming across the other way. From a military point of view, you know, from uh, a battle point of view, wouldn't it be prudent to have Kylo Ren under your scope as a sniper. Basically, he's like, if this guy pulls any shit, I'm just going to take him out like a, a shot right to the head. Nope. They get closer and closer and closer. They're all just standing there. Weapons are at their side staring at this. Obviously, uh, Kylo Ren, sorry, spoiler alert. Kylo Ren pulls out his lightsaber and jams it through Han Solo and flicks him over to the side. And then Chewie picks up the gun and shoots Kylo Ren and just, you know, kind of wings him on the shoulder. How fucking dumb is that? Yeah. Like, like, wouldn't you take the opportunity to take out like the Darth Vader of this movie when you have a clean, you know, shot to the head? Yeah, I think I think the whole premise there is that I guess again, I'm not sure from the film, do they know that Kylo Ren is his son? I think they must, right? So we'll give him that. And so they're like, well, maybe he can turn him, you know. So, but at the same time, after that happens you're definitely going to kill the guy, right? I mean, you're going to, you have a clean shot, yeah, right? I mean, this whole missing him and grazing him, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I get your point, but I think they're trying to, to do the, use, you know, use this whole thing of, well, he's still savable, you know? So, okay. So, and he is their son. So I think that's the one argument I would have against that, but. But wouldn't he have him in the scope as it were, just to say, hey, shit, I'm just going to take him out. No, right. just, everyone's just standing there with their weapons at their side, just waiting to see what's going to happen. Right. It's just like ponderous to me. I was just like, wow, that's really dumb. Just really dumb. And again, the military incompetence um, of the you know rebellion characters, just no wonder they're always on the struggle as far as um, being, you know, the empire having the upper hand. Um, look, the ending scene with Luke I, I again, I could go on and on and on. I'm not going to. I already have. Yeah, when she goes to the Ireland when, when planet. She, yeah, when she goes to the <laughs> Ireland planet, the water yeah. planet. That you know, she's wouldn't she be drinking all the water there and kind of jumping in the water and going wee wee yeah. wee? Look at all this water. She goes there. Luke. She has his lightsaber. She tries to show it to him. Wouldn't Luke say something like, "Is that all you brought me? Like you didn't bring me like some takeout. You didn't bring me some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't bring me some porn or something like." He's stuck on this island and she brings him his fucking lightsaber. He's like, what the fuck am I going to do with that? Yeah. Come on. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I just thought it was kind of anticlimactic. And I, she, you know, she was good in the movie, but she overacted a little bit there. Yeah. Um, whatever. Look, I hated this fucking movie. I thought it was yeah. terrible. I, I'm not a J.J. Abrams fan at all. Um, I, I don't like his other movies. I visually, this movie was okay, but I just thought it was an awful piece of shit. I'm really glad I haven't wasted my time or money on any of the other sequels. Right. This was 
FX porn and money grab up the yeah. yin yang. Um, this movie was hugely successful from a box office point of view. So I know. And from a critical point of view. Yeah. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's more than 90%. And like you said, crazy. nobody, including myself, I, I mean, I was a little bit like, another Death Star? That's kind of lame. But watching it again, everything is stolen. Everything. everything. Yeah. The whole the whole premise, the whole plot, everything. And like I said, from a, a world building and and plot logistics point of view, it just doesn't make sense for them to still be the rebellion. That makes no sense. It just it totally kind of says, let's wipe, let's pretend that those first the that the first three, and I mean episode four through six, didn't mean anything. And right. we're just back to square one. We're just reboot. It's a reboot. Yeah. It's just like, sorry. And it's almost like Star Trek where he does this alternate universe thing so he could rewrite history instead of like taking those Star Trek characters and making something new with them. He wants to re-envision them entirely and forget about all we know about Star Trek. You know, and who, it's like, that's not what you do with the franchise. What you do with the franchise is you build on it and expand it and deepen it and make us understand the original movies more, not just erase them. And that's what he does here. Or, you know, even taking the, the middle ground and kind of flipping things on the side a little bit. Right. But even in that Cobra Kai, they did this with the Karate Kid where they made the bad character good and the good character kind of bad. You know, I mean, it's kind of like what your idea would be. It's like, well, the rebellion would be the empire now. Yeah. Right? And Cobra so Kai, yeah. Cobra Kai is the perfect example of how to take something and deepen it and expand it, even though that show is also really repetitive because there's always some fucking karate competition people care about. But still, they keep bringing back and opening up and deepening. And it's like it's so Cobra Kai actually is way better than what it's actually building on. Yeah, like it's better than the Karate Kid movies. They're kind of fun, whatever. This movie takes it to a whole different. I mean, this show takes it to a level and it does it in, like you mentioned, unpredictable ways. It twists things around in a way that's plausible, but still it's, it still builds upon that world and doesn't take away from it. It just expands it. Whereas this seems to just subtract rather than add to me. I agree. And, and look, this is weird to say, and this is very successful all around. I'm sure Disney and all the people are making millions and millions, billions on this could not give two fucks about what we say about it. And that's fine. Um, I just, really want nothing to do with this uh, whole franchise. I think it's awful. And I'm glad that it was over and uh, we can move on. So. But I feel like the point of this show is to say whether something's going to get, you know, more popular, less popular. Yeah. And I think more people are going to come to the conclusions we have. I think that as people watch this movie again and again, they're going to realize it's essentially empty and it doesn't really offer anything new. And it's got its moments and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a paint by numbers kind of remake of the first movie and doesn't really give us anything new. And, and especially the next two movies are so bad. There's, I think they're even worse. I think this is by far the best of the three. Um, the next two are so much worse that I think it's just, I mean, rise of Skywalker was almost universally panned um, as it should be. Re Last Jedi did some very daring things, but I think mostly people don't like what it, they did. I don't like what they did with it. Um, I think it was much more of a, a of a unique and adventurous film than this, but it's also more disappointing with what they, the direction they decided to take. And it eventually fucks up the whole mythology and doesn't, it makes it make even less sense. Um, and so I think that uh, as time goes on, these are going to, 
the, this trilogy is just going to be looked upon as, as bad. And, you know, there's going to be other Star Wars things forever, and some of them are going to be really good. Um, you know, I know The Mandalorian is also critically acclaimed. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch it. Um, I have Disney now, so I'll watch I'll watch these things, I guess. Um, but I think this is just going to continue. The reputation is going to decrease um, yeah, over time. And, and I think I agree a thousand percent. And I think that in the future, when somebody sits down and watches all these things back to back to back, right, as, as people do these days, the drop off from, you know, A New Hope the first actual movie and empire and the rest of these will just be so dramatic that um, people are just going to be like, Ugh, really? These aren't that, these aren't that great. Um, I think so. I'm way, way, way short on this. Um, and that is where I think we shall uh, leave this. I do think those slip that we need to do the first movie, new hope um, as a juxtaposition at some point here. Yeah, we can do that, that much. I think we should do that much later because I don't think um, it's interesting because some of your criticisms are also criticisms of that. So it'd yeah. be interesting to take those criticisms and really go in depth on that movie and kind of say, you know, take some of this, some of the insights you had from a technological and scientific perspective and look at it that way, because obviously the evaluation isn't going to be short. It would be ridiculous to think that because it's already proven that it's eternal, you know, and that that people still have the same reactions to it, et cetera. But we could talk more about the tweaking of the movie and stuff like that. But I think that we should maybe save that one for later when, you know, it, it'll be fresher to us. I agree. Oh, some time pass. Let the, let yeah. the, more, the mental wounds of having to watch A Force Awakens <laughs> heal a little bit. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully you found this interesting. Again, all you Star Wars nerds who are, I want to point out all the little things that we missed or that we didn't know or the off-canon stuff that could have explained all this. Don't care because this movie sucked. Uh, thank you. Uh, we will be back soon and talking about our next uh, piece of cultural ephemera for episode eight. So tune in. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. <laughs>